This is episode 254 of Alohomora for September 15th, 2018. Hello, hello, and welcome, listeners, to Alohomora, MuggleNet.com's global reread and discussion of the Harry Potter series. Uh, we have a really exciting episode for you today. We're really excited to jump into it. Uh, I am Allison Sigurd. I'm Beth Warsaw. And I'm Kat Miller. And our guest today, if you've read any sort of academic work or writings about Harry Potter, if you used to listen to MuggleNet Academia, if you currently listen to our other amazing show, Reading, Writing, Rolling, he is a co-host and co-creator of that show. Our guest today is none other than the Hogwarts professor himself, John Granger. Hi, John. Thank you, Kat. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's, it's wonderful to at last be on Hello, Amora, the premiere podcast. I kind of can't believe you haven't been on before, but I mean, this is a perfect episode for you to join us. So it's right up your alley. Yeah, I, I should I, I should tell you, I mean, we're, we're talking ring composition. And when I offer, I, I have an online class that I give on the artistry and meaning of Harry Potter called Wizard Reading Formula. And I did a survey before I put together the class of 7,000 Harry Potter serious readers. And the two subjects that almost every one of them said they wanted to know more about were literary alchemy and ring composition. And ring composition, I think, edged out literary alchemy. And this this is really a big topic. Wow. Yes. Um, we, uh, yes. the Putting the document together was daunting. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Um, yeah. As, I think you, you put this down as, as ring composition part one. And um, it'll take years to go through all this. But you've got this outline you've got for here is really... Uh, a wonderful one. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, good. Well, thank you. This Ravenclaw is very happy to have the uh, validation. So thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. So as John mentioned, we're going to be talking about ring composition today. Uh, and for those of you who are going to go furiously Google about ring composition, <laughs> make sure you Google ring composition because ring theory is some math fun. Um, and we don't do math. Wizards here. don't like math. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or maybe they're just inherently really good at math. We don't know. Um, Unless you're Oliver. <laughs> that was a Puffs joke for you. Total, total uh, tangent. Not total tangent. I saw Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, sorry, in theaters over the weekend. I'd never seen it. And I was cracking up at the end when Dumbledore is announcing, you know, uh, Harry gets 60 points and Ron gets 50 oh, yeah. points. And, her, and Hermione's like, we're tied with Slytherin. Everybody looks at her like, oh my God, because none of them we know how to do math. We could that up. <laughs> She's the only one who could add it in her head. And I was just cracking up about it today. That's all. Oh, that's Side funny. story. <laughs> Stay in school, kids. <laughs> so... A uh, huge shout out to the those who suggested ring composition uh, for a topic for us to talk about. And those are Proud Huff, Amy, and Eliza Mack. So thank you so much. And we are going to do that for you today. Every Amy in the world is like, yeah, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> and before we do jump in, we want to let you guys know that this episode is brought to you by Care Of. For 25% off your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and use promo code OPEN. 
And one more very important person we need to mention before we get started on our topic is that this episode is sponsored by Jake Yuri on Patreon. Thank you, Jake. Yay! Thank you, Jake. Claps for you. You can become a sponsor for as little as a dollar a month, and we continue to release exclusive tidbits for sponsors, like Michael just released his first Let's Play video. So lots of good stuff coming out. I think it's time for Shout Out Maxima. Our first one, these are from episode 252, um, which was our episode on Percy Weasley with the one and only Chris Rankin. And we had some really great comments. Our first one comes from Jones, captain of the Ron Myony, which is a fabulous username, who brought up the fact that Percy could be short for Percival, which is one of Dumbledore's middle names after his father. And then the head girl added on to this that there's also Percival Graves. And this idea that it's interesting that head girl called them boys who stray. And they all share the same name. Mm. And I thought that was so cool. Because I had never thought of that. That's kind of awesome. That, yeah. (laughs) That is really awesome. Although we don't know if Graves actually strayed. That's true. That's true. We have to remember, there's like Percival Graves, like asterisks. Because Percival Graves is actually... Grindelwald the entire time. Grindelwald, yeah. Which is so sad. We never get to meet the real one. And he's like as fine as Colin Farrell. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. He wears scorpion like lapel pins or whatever. I'm a little concerned about that. But maybe that's Grindelwald. I don't know. I feel like that's significant enough and weird enough that has to be a normal detail. Maybe, but he's also wearing, he also wears the Deathly Hallows symbol, like, which we know he doesn't. That's true. Like, okay, we don't know that Graves wouldn't wear it, but, like, we know that's a GG thing. GG. <laughs> Sorry, like, I do DDGG, you know. No, it's just easier than saying, like, Gellert Grindelwald. Look at the cute names we've given them. Precious. <laughs> yeah. GG. So, yeah, that was a cool one about um, about names and similar names. I always think it's funny when... Rowling uses the same names for different characters. Because then we have to compare. Yeah. It's Mark Evans. Isn't there, like, I mean, all of the Weasleys are named after someone in, like, Arthurian legend, right? Yes. They are all. Yeah, we talked about that in the episode. Oh, yeah, you're right. We did discuss that. It's been a little while. Um, Who was Percival? Someone remind me. Percival is one of the knights of the round table. I believe he's the only one who is who actually sees the Holy Grail in person. Oh. If I'm remembering right. That sounds right. But it's been a while since I've studied actual Arthurian legend, not just BBC's Merlin. <laughs> right, of course. I mean, I'm sure that that is very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Percival is the knight who never has sleeves, so, you know... <laughs> Oh, okay. So he's the dude bro. Got it. Pretty much. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Anyway. Our next comment is from Blood Charm, which sounds like a Pottermore username. So good on you for keeping that. I like that. Oh, (laughs) mine was R.I.P. Firebolt Key 7. Mine was so good. That's like such a good username. I had good ones too. Mine was really good. Mine was Crimson Jinx. That's amazing. Yeah. One of mine was Quaffle Witch, which I was like, yes. Oh, that's kind of fun. Anyway, Blood Charm started a discussion about whether Percy was right to criticize Arthur for not making enough money to support their large family. Oh, this gets crunchy. Yeah, we, there was a, (laughs) 
there was a lot of back and forth, to say the least, um, in this discussion about whether Percy was too harsh or if he had a, a point, a decent point, or if he crossed a line <laughs> or if the Weasleys even needed that much more at all um, to be happy. We so, could probably have an entire episode on this. Oh, we totally could. On the Weasleys and their economic status, 100%. Yeah. That would make me so sad. Me too. Our next one comes from Davy B. Jones 999, our old friend, who was dissecting in a really long, really great comment what was probably going on in Percy's head uh, leading to his estrangement with his family. So he starts pretty much right after Percy graduates Hogwarts and when he has his first job and through that summer in Goblet of Fire and all the way through the fight and even a little bit into what happens when Percy starts to come back around. So it was very fascinating. It was a really good look at um, specifically what Percy might have been thinking as all of this happened um, leading up to his redemption arc. Do you think he ever reconnected with Penelope? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I don't kidding. think so because he marries Audrey. Yeah, like who's that? <laughs> I don't know. Was Penelope in the same year as Percy? Yes, because she's head girl, isn't she? Or she's a prefect. She's a prefect. I don't know if she makes it to be head girl. Maybe she's not head girl because I seem to remember her like admiring his head boy badge as he walks up third year. Oh, right. He throws his chest out. It says. Yeah. That's right. And he's showing off. Humongous mm. big head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the clever friend George. Mm. Our last comment for today comes from the head girl again, who brought up a theory that I thought was really awesome, um, that Percy might have anxiety and that anxiety leads to a lot of fear, which leads to a lot of his decision making and a lot of his actions, um, which I think is interesting. I To examine like mental illness and potential mental illness some characters might have. Mm. I love this. And I was just talking to a coworker of mine today about um, acting more confident than you feel. Yeah. That feels really on the nose for Percy. Yeah. That's not an easy thing either. And, you know, as someone who suffers from situational anxiety, I don't have generalized, but situational, um, I can say that anxiety definitely plays a part on how I react to certain situations and definitely has provided me with some unnecessary fear at unwanted moments of my life. So I could see that. And I think, and I'm I'm not trying to speak for him, but I think given Chris's theory about how Percy isn't exactly naturally smart, how he has to work really, really hard towards things. And I think that that... I'm not saying that the two are um, related or ubiquitous. That's the right word, right? Yes. Yeah, they don't always occur together, right? But um, yeah, I think that that I think that that fits for me. All right. Well, those are some of our excellent comments that were on our site, uh, alohomorrowpodcast.com. So go ahead, listeners, and go read up on those, add your own, and join the conversation. And I did want to toss something out there. A lot of people commented about like how we didn't make a big deal about the fact that Chris Rankin was on our Percy episode and um guys he's just like another giant 
ner like nerdy dork like we are someone who lives and like loves harry potter and just happens to have been lucky enough to be in the film so you know don't be afraid to engage with him like shoot him a message on instagram write to him on twitter he's super nice and he loves he's super nice yeah and he loves talking about harry potter so you know go engage don't be afraid he's cool I mean, he's a nerd and he's weird, but he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's why we like him though, right? It's why he fits in. <laughs> so before we get into the main discussion for today, this episode is brought to all of us by Care of Vitamins. So for 25% off your first month of personalized vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code OPEN. Listeners, I got my first pack of Care of Vitamins just a week or so ago. And let me tell you, this was a delightful experience. I work in software, and so I always love using just really elegant user experiences on the web. And the quiz on the Care of website to pick out your vitamins is so gorgeous, so unintrusive. I really, really loved it. It was super easy on mobile, too. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Super easy. Um, and one of my favorite things was that the quiz identified holes in my diet. So I am gluten-free and, and I, it let me know that maybe I should take a B complex, uh, because I may not be getting that from my diet. They also let me know since I don't eat fish that I should probably be taking a fish oil vitamin. So that was really helpful for me. Things that I, sort of new already, but it was nice to have validated. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it also asked me what was important to me. Um, so energy for me was my most important thing because I am literally always exhausted. But it only took a few minutes to fill out. It was super easy. And then my vitamins were on the way. And they, they come in like little packets, one for every day. So you don't have to count out your vitamins and put them in a little you know, pill minder when you're traveling, which is a pain in the butt. Uh, you can just, you know. And they have cute, like, quotes or questions on they them. They do, yeah. So makes it super easy to travel and to remember to take them, <laughs> which is, you know, sometimes can be a struggle. The other thing I really loved is that they let you know about all the research backing the vitamins that they suggest you take. So I, I'm very much interested in that kind of thing. I usually am not drawn to, you know, hippy-dippy things. Not that I am against that, but it's just usually not what I choose for myself. And so I picked out only vitamins that said they had strong research behind them, which I really liked that that information was available to me. The app also makes it really easy to track your vitamins and to you know, edit your, your subscription. Cause they treat this basically like a subscription box. So, uh, it'll show up at your door every month unless you change something, which is amazing because if you've ever gotten to the bottom of a, a thing of vitamins and then forget to repurchase it for like three months, not saying that's ever happened to me, but <laughs> right, right. <laughs> wink, wink. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the app makes it really easy to change your subscription if you want to do that. One other thing I loved is that right in the, the listing when I chose all of my vitamins, it says right on there that 
the vitamins that I chose are gluten-free, which is super important to me. Gluten can hide in really weird things. And so I love that it says right there that they're going to be safe for me. And they also have vegan and vegetarian supplement options if that's your jam. So definitely go and check them out even if you've got some dietary restrictions. I, I also noticed that they, they let you know like dairy and egg and, you know, all sorts of allergens that are possibly in or not in the vitamins that they have available. So if this sounds awesome to you, because it is awesome, go over to TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code OPEN for 25% off your first month of personalized Care Of Vitamins. Thanks, Care Of. I actually ordered the little packs of the stuff you put into the water, so I'm excited to give it a try. Anyway, let's actually get to our main discussion for today, and that is, as we have mentioned, part one of ring composition. And I figured we should start off with an actual definition, like what is ring composition? And I feel like there's nobody better to tell us <laughs> what ring composition is other than you, John. Do you mind this is sharing this is great. with us what can, it is? Only you, only you, Kat. You passed that so gracefully. Boom. Can That's I, can you, I just say, but yeah. before you explain what it is, you know, sometimes I joke that it'd be so cool to be able to read Harry Potter for the first time again and have that experience. I, mm. I really wish I could go back and experience my first time of learning about ring composition again because of <laughs> how much it blew my mind when I first learned about it. So if you don't know what ring composition is, listeners, prepare to have your mind blown. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah you're, you're in for it today, that's for sure. I gave this talk for the first time in 2010 to the group that should not be named in New York. And I asked them before the talk how many times they had read the books. And we got up to um, two or three that had read the books 25 times. I mean, this is in 2010. So the, the, the last book had only been out for a couple of years. And they, uh, I, I said to them, if, you, if you've, you've never heard of ring composition before and you don't understand how Rowling has structured the books, after this talk, you'll feel as if you're going to be reading the books for the first time. And the group there, if, if, if you know the group that should not be named, John Rosen's Hall and Company, you know that you know, they, they came to the thing in cosplay. They came to the thing in red bow ties because that's my signature. It was, it was, it was a fun, fun gathering. But they gave me the biggest collective eyeball rule that I've ever seen at a public event. Um, um, you know, I totally believe that. I'm like, I John, totally do you know who that. you're talking to? You're like, us reading it for the first time? And after the event, and I, I, fire hose them with ring composition, the series, the books, etc. John came up to me and said, John, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you actually undersold what I'm experiencing right now. That, that, it, as you said, ring composition, once you get it, well, how about, how about Lin-Manuel Miranda? He, he twittered, tweeted. I like twittered myself. <laughs> That's right. He, he, uh, <laughs> he, he communicated via Twitter with Rolling last year and called her the uh, the mass the maestro of reprise because of the internal echoing in half-blood prints um which is exactly what ring composition is about is, is internal parallelism but I mean, that's that's what is ring composition ring composition is a story structure a universal story structure of humanity and the the key book to to read when i read one book on this is mary douglas's thinking in circles mary douglas probably the premier anthropologist of the 20th century. And in her swan song and lectures she gave at Yale University, um, she, she talked about uh, this 
form of telling a story that exists across eons, cultures, genres. It's, it's, it's a shape that you'll see in the Bible, Homer, Virgil, Dante, Zoroaster, Rumi, Thai legends, Russian folk tales, Tristan Shandy, Austin, Jules Verne, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, William, Nabokov, and Rowling. I mean, you see this thing everywhere, and yet it's almost invisible to us as human beings. And, it, and it's simple to get if you, if you just can picture in your head what's called a turtle back, which is a circle a line dividing the circle top to bottom, and then uh, lines coming across the circle, crossing that axis. So you can imagine what a turtle looks like from the top. And that turtle back shape is largely what the story is. And, and Douglas tells us that there are four qualities of ring writing she sees uh, in this as this universal paradigm of storytelling. The, the first thing is it has to be a circle. The beginning and the end have to meet up. There has to be a latch where you get an echo of the beginning and the end. Then there has to be a turning point in the story, say the top of the circle, that echoes the beginning and points to the finish. All right. So it's, it's going to be it's often in a hidden place, a secret place. Then uh, across the axis, you're going to see, say, say it's a seven chapter book. You'll see one and seven adding up as being as your latch, your beginning and end. You'll see four is the turn. And then you'll see chapter two and chapter six and chapter three and chapter five echoing each other. Um, to use Rowling's language, it's a reverse echo effect. <laughs> yeah, that this is going to be, a, and I think that's deliberate that she uses that in book four, but that reverse echo effect is you're going to see some sort of reference to the previous chapter in the, in the latter chapter. It's either going to be an inversion or a direct reflection of a character, a scene, an action, maybe a question is being answered. Um, we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to go through you know, how this works in the series because Rowling is not only writing a seven book series in which this works, but each one of the books is a ring. I mean, everybody calls J.K. Rowling J.K.R., but really they should call her OCD because there's, <laughs> there's 198 chapters in a prologue in the series, and every single one of those chapters has a direct reflection um, up or down as in, along the axis or across going backwards and forwards. Um, I mean, students, uh, this was first uh, picked up by a man named Brett Kendall, a professor of Old Testament theology um, at Fordham University when book five came out. Um, mm -hmm. And then Joyce Adele did a lot of work with this as well, but they didn't get the, they were, they were working with the series. And so of course you couldn't see it until the latter books came out to see the, the, the uh, echoes, but the interior books, uh, that's where you get into the astonishing uh, attention to detail. Um, all right, that, that's, that's, that's a lot. But the, the, the big thing to remember here is that this is not just Rowling's little fetish. You know, this is not her, this is her little compulsion. This is sacred right. scripture, East and West, especially the Bible. It's in the Aeneid, um, not only in the book structure in the Aeneid, but every individual line has a chiasmus where the beginning and the end are, are reflected at, at a breaking point in the center. Mm. Beowulf, that's important because of Tolkien. Um, really, Gerard Manley Hopkins, the, you know, one of the great poets of the 19th century, said all, you know, all great literature is about parallelism. And boy, do you see it in this structure. Yeah, and it dates back. I mean, you mentioned the Bible and stuff. So this is not even remotely a new thing. It's just people are studying it more, it seems like now. I mean, it wasn't really ever studied a lot before. Here's, right? here's, here's the funny thing about this is like um, if you know anything about the Latter-day Saints, 
I do. The big controversy and... and Allison does. <laughs> okay. The big thing about the Latter-day Saints is, is the Book of Mormon a real document or was it something that the prophet Joseph Smith just made up? Um, and, and, and largely Mormonism hangs on that question. Well, I mean, if you get into chiasmus or ring composition studies, you find out that... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, the real leaders in this thing, there's, the, there's a, uh, a man named John Welsh has written the chiasmus bibliography as well as chiasmus in history. And in it, he lays out, first of all, all the literature on uh, ring composition and chiasmus, in, especially in terms of classical studies. I mean, I was studying this when I was a... Uh, uh, classical literature major at University of Chicago. I, I didn't have any idea what would ever play out in, you know, Harry Potter. Who knew about Harry Potter? Um, but that, uh, what, the reason that, that the Latter-day Saints are consumed by this is because um, there's a lot of chiastic structure in the Book of Mormon. Yep. Therefore, in their thinking, it, it couldn't have been written by this relatively uneducated man in upstate New York who had no idea of, of biblical um, interpretation tools, which were largely in Europe at that time, um, so that there, if there's chiasm inside this, it must be a truly ancient work. Hmm. Do you get that? I mean, this, this, is a, this is a huge subject. But what's funny is, like Mary Douglas says, um, she, she in her book, just mysterious to me, she says that this just dies out and nobody knows why people stop using this. Well, that's crazy. I mean, once once you recognize the form, she says she says that uh, Stern's Tristram Shandy is really the last bit of English literature that uses this. Um, that's nuts. I mean, Jane Austen, Jules Verne, Robert Louis Stevenson, all the Inklings, especially Charles Williams, they all they're all ring writers. I mean, the Lord of the Rings is largely called the Lord of the Rings because it's a it's a giant chiasmus. Hmm. It's it's as as you said, Kat. It's it's not um, a new thing. What's uh, Fascinating is is now is is the is the is the return to the study of it, largely driven by Mary Douglas and her her work. Um, to, when to was a, that book published? Her book, Mary's book. Uh, boy, it's it, two thousand and maybe maybe around two thousand. I mean, so it's, it's fairly modern then, right? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Mary Douglas uh, uh, just died relatively recently, and this was this was her last big effort. This was this basically her. Um, what do you call it? Her, her last giant project. Her swung song. That, there you go. I didn't mm-hmm. want to say that. Um, but that, that, that's, uh, I, I can't urge anybody who's interested in the subject enough to, to read that book because in it you'll get, um, how difficult it is to write this kind of book and yet, um, how important it is to the reader's experience of the story. Because as you're going through the story, you, you of course don't, recognize this consciously mm-hmm. but as you begin to have these echoes inside the books and we'll talk about those tonight unconsciously you're feeling this great feeling of satisfaction oh there's right. that there's that question answered there's that situation um reflected and resolved you know like a, like a complimentary angle oh this is this is a great thing um and that does something apparently to the human imagination human heart when it reads um uh, and rolling and rolling quite rolling quite clearly is the master. It's not just limited to literature either. Um, uh, Wagner's operas very much follow this pattern as well. Um, listeners, you probably know the Flight of the Valkyrie song that's from um, the da 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 That was good. Um, that's from Wagner's cycle of uh, operas that also follow this structure very closely. Um, 
And there's there's other things. It's it's one of those funny kind of patterns. We as humans like to tell stories and patterns because <laughs> I think it helps us make more sense of them. So it's kind of one of those big patterns that we just kind of have latched onto, it seems, and keep playing with. There's a guy named Mike Klimo, who's a, who's a big student of the Star Wars films. Um, and if you, if you, if you Google Mike Klimo and Star Wars, you'll get his breakdown of, you know, people don't like the first three Star Wars films. They say they're not as good as the original four, five, and six versions. And yet Klimo has broken them down scene by scene. And Lucas is writing a ring composition with one through six, um, where almost yeah. everything, no surprise there. almost everything, well, yeah, he's writing yes, an opera. At, that's right. As, as an anthropologist, uh, you know, Lucas, you know, amateur anthropologist, Lucas is aware of this formula, how it works, um, and, and is creating this giant work of six films um, in which he's going to have that that echoing, that that satisfaction, um, that resolution of, of story points and dialogue and scenes that a reader, if watching it straight through, will say, ah, you know, we get it. We get it. So. I haven't read this book by Mary Douglas, and it, as you were talking, I put it on my Amazon list. Um, <laughs> but I do have to wonder, since ring composition feels so comfy to us that we don't even notice that it's there most of the time, when a writer uses ring composition, how much of it is on purpose and how much of it is just because that feels right. And I'm sure, like, a lot of the big stuff is intentional, but some of the small stuff seems like it couldn't possibly be on purpose. But this, this, right. that's, this is a great point. And um, certainly the critics of um, the Latter-day Saints who say that, that there's no way that Joseph Smith uh, was able to uh, write this chaotic structures. It must be a translation of a real work. Um, ancient work, they point out that it isn't that hard to do, some say, um, and that he was not a stupid man, so that he could have done it because there were stories being written at that time using this structure. But the, the question of intentionality is critical because ring composition doesn't happen on the fly. There's just, there's, there's too many details involved. And so if it's not intentional, you could have just kind of a satisfying beginning, middle, and end. And, of course, the end. Every every uh, situation comedy on television has a beginning, middle, and an end that latch, and there's a pivot. Um, it's the parallelism and all those details that works. Whether Rowling intended to do that or not, we have some pretty strong testimony from her that, yeah, she's doing this. In that in the DVD extras to uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2, um, you know, she, she talks about uh, Lupin's death and Tonks's death, and she says that their deaths were in parallel with the deaths of Lillian James at the story's start, and Teddy's mm -hmm. Lupin as an orphan is an echo of Harry's condition in Private Drive. Um, in the same interview, she allowed that Hagrid could not die, though his death would have seemed even natural, because she had always planned to have Hagrid to carry Harry's seemingly dead body out of the forest and Deathly Hallows again, in parallel again with the, with what happens in uh, you know, his, his, his performance before the very beginning of, of Sorcerer's Stone, or Philosopher's Stone. And then in the women of Harry Potter, she talked about the, another extra inside that DVD. She talked about Narcissa Malfoy predicting Harry from the Dark Lord in the forest. She called it the closing of a circle, quite literally, in which just as a mother's love saved Harry from the Dark Lord, his story starts. So it did a story's end. 
the echo she said was quote quite deliberate. I mean, so I mean, these this this echoing not only is I think evident to a reader once the reader is aware of the structure's existence and what the qualities of it are, but we have Rowling pretty much saying this is what I'm doing. Um, and again, once you get into the details, um, they're so funny. You know, I, I, I mean, I just skip ahead. I mean, there's, there's this, there's, there's a seemingly bizarre scene at, at Goblet when they finally arrive at Hogwarts. And we have, the, we have the long opening to Goblet before we get to Hogwarts. And Peeves is there with water balloons and it's pouring down rain and they, they there's, the boats are upset and the thing, every, everybody arrives at the uh, sorting feast soaking wet. And the, and the chapter, which is immediately across from it in Goblet, and Goblet is the, is the book that has the most exact references. Every single chapter has an immediate chapter parallel to it. It's, it's OCD heaven. Um, the chapter, which Just is funny because she's always said she's felt like she was rushed in that book and she wasn't ever quite happy with it. She had to go back and rewrite two thirds of it because of a mistake she made. And so I think the rewriting, the hurried rewriting, she had to make the, the parallels almost mechanical. You know, and that's why we get the purest set. Um, but anyway, that, the parallel scene to everyone being soaked in the Great Hall. Does anybody remember? Anyone guess what the other really wet scene is in, in Goblet of Fire? The lake. They're in the lake. That's right. They're underwater. <laughs> now, so what seems like an arbitrary, crazy detail about them arriving in Goblet of Fire and everybody's soaking wet. Turns out to be that, you know, the scene that you have in the chapter, which is opposite. Wait, those chapters are opposite each other? Those chapters are direct opposites. Wow. I, cause I feel like, wow, there's a, there's not, <clears throat> wow. I feel like okay. I need a visual of like the entire series with like lines drawn and also each book have with visual? lines drawn. I do have a visual. If you want, if you want all the charts for this, um, I, when I gave that talk in New York, um, to the group that shall not be named. They, they went nuts and said, John, you've got to write this up. We need the charts. We want the charts. You know, and I sent them the PowerPoint program. No, we want the charts. You know, so I, I wrote this up <laughs> and I've, I've never published it properly because I'm using it in my PhD work, whatever. But, but the, it's, if you go to, if you Google Harry Potter ring composition, you'll get a link to Lulu, which has L-U-L-U. Uh, all my charts, all the pictures, lulu.com. It's a self-publishing okay. platform. Um, and, uh, you can download it as a PDF or you can, you know, get the, get the little book, you know, sold to you. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of a cult classic in Harry Potter fandom because, uh, as, as you said earlier, uh, once you see this and you read the books again, you go crazy. I, I should, and I should tell you as I, as I, as I did this, I had to read the books differently. I don't know how many times I'd read the books in 2010, uh, you know, quite a few times. But what, I, what you have to do to get ring composition is, is you have to read the first chapter and then the last chapter. Oh, that sounds so fun. And then, and and then you, then you try to figure out, what, then you try to figure <laughs> yeah. out what the middle is, you know, cause once you got the latch and you, and you laugh and you go, Oh, I see it. And then you look for the latch, the, the, the t- story turn that connects to the latch that, that echoes the beginning and the end. And once you find that, then you start doing the parallels. You start marching up the circle on both sides. Because this reverse echo effect, you know, if it goes A, B, C, D, then it goes C, B, A. So it goes in reverse order coming back to get that. You know what? Why Why isn't there a podcast that talks about this? Ah, uh, there are. 
there are that that are reading Harry Potter in a ring composition way. Yeah, that, I mean, oh, you know, that's just devoted to this. It's not, not there's not one just devoted to this, but yeah, um, well, there should be. I'm going to start it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. That sounds okay. So. We are all about discovering the series in a new way, looking at it in a different light. It's why our tagline is open the Dumbledore. Like we're big believers in exploring the series in a way that you've never explored it before. And I am now dying. I didn't know that that was like a thing people did. And I am dying to read the books that way now, dying to do it. Here's the funny thing is, is, is that I, I did this research and the talk in 2010. So it's been eight years. Um, and I get an email at least every quarter, sometimes, you know, every month, um, from people that are reading the books this way and saying, did you see this? And the answer is almost always, no, I didn't because there's so many. I mean, I mean the, all the charts that, um, that are in the, that, that, uh, booklet that I have. They're pretty detailed, and there's a, there's a crazy amount of correspondences. But I mean, for example, when I read Deathly Hallows, like everybody else, I was struck by how many echoes there were from uh, uh, yeah. Philosopher's Stone. Um, and I made a list for for the Deathly Hallows lectures and where I laid them all out as in, as in an appendix. And there's something like I, I think I got 30 of them, and that list is now closer to 50. Um, I mean, she really tied together. I mean, she said it also in those, those, uh, those DVD extras. She said that, um, while she didn't have the last chapter in a safe deposit box somewhere, she did have the story of Harry going into the forest again. And, and for, for lack of a better word, as she says, the ghosts that come with there, she says that was, that was in stone from the very beginning and shaped the entire series. So she was, she was reverse writing the series in light of the connection between Hallows and Stone from the very start. Um, I mean, this, this is a, uh, a tribute really to, uh, the genius of Rowling's, uh, uh, conception of the story that she, mm. she writes seven individual stories, each one of which is a coherent, satisfying, brilliant ring in itself. And yet in each one of those books, she's writing the, you know, she's, she's giving you the, the slow narrative release of the larger story and she's echoing the books. Now, obviously when we written, when we read Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone, none of us said, Oh, this is going to really pay off in book seven. <laughs> right, I mean, of course. I mean, right. And, and, and when we read Goblet, there's a lot of correspondences with uh, Sorcerer's Stone. There's 25 echoes inside Goblet uh, of, mm. of Philosopher's Stone. Now, that's that's mind-boggling. But, Kat, you know, in 2000, do you know anybody that said, wow, this reminds me a lot of Philosopher's Stone? Uh, negative, John. Negative. <laughs> no, the first again, the first person who did that was Brett Kendall, and that um, that's he. I asked him how he thought that. He he's an Old Testament scholar. He said, "John, mm. chiasmus is what I do day and night." There's there's very little in the Old Testament that doesn't involve parallelism. Um, so when he was reading Harry Potter, everything everything leads back to a sacred document, doesn't it? <laughs> it seems like it does. I'm, doesn't I'm, it? I'm not going to go there, does. but yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer. Yes, yes. Got it. Well, well, why don't we start talking about some of these amazing parallels and go through them? Um, I figured that today we would start with book one, book seven, and then we could certainly touch on a goblet as well. Cause you know, like we said, beginning end and the middle 
And then, you know, when we get to part two and part three, we'll talk about the other books. So does that sound like a plan, guys? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if you guys have purchased John's book, how much is it, John? How much is your self-published little book? No idea. 15 bucks. I don't know. Wow. Okay. I, well, I, I, I get it. I get it. Whenever, whenever one sells, I get a little note from Lulu saying, you sold a book. And I, I immediately go to Amazon and buy a, a book with my, my earnings. So I, I mean, I, I, have no, <laughs> I, I, have, I have no idea how much money it is. It's like, okay. my, it's, it's like my private, it's the way I, I buy books without my wife knowing about it. You're like, Oh, oh great. I have, okay. I have I money it. in I PayPal. It. I can buy something. It's your, it's your secret stash. Right. Okay. Um, so then the chart for, Sorcerers, Sorcerers and Hallows is on page 82 of the book. Oh, you, 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 you the got a, here, right? you've got a PDF, which is not cued to the actual pages in that book. Oh, well, that's so, fine. It is not page 82, everybody. It's in the book. And <laughs> Believe me, it's, it's, the book is almost idiot proof. The, the, you, know, you just go to the in, indexes and, and you'll, you'll find oh, perfect. all those things. Yeah. Well, there you go. So if you guys happen to have it and you're listening to this, you know, flip to it and whatever. But um, maybe we'll just read through them and then we'll talk about them. Deal? Or do you want to talk about them one at a time? What do you guys well, feel? There's, what do you there's, think? there's, there's so many here. There's, I mean, there's, there's really 10 that are just, just leap off the page, slap you in the face parallels. Um, okay. So let's, so let's see. So we've got Harry and Hagrid with the motorbike bang. and Privet Drive, of course. Yeah. That's, that's the huge one, right? We, we, none of us picked up Hallows. And we see Hagrid and Harry on the bike and don't say, hey, wait a minute. You know, um, right. maybe, maybe exactly. we're not going to Privet Drive. We're coming from Privet Drive. But that's that's exactly it, Kat and Beth and Alice. And right. then this, this is it, is you're seeing it in reverse, right? Harry yeah. is brought mm -hmm. by Hagrid on a motorcycle to Privet Drive. And in the end, they leave Privet Drive on the same well, motorbike. It's, it's so clear because almost immediately after in uh, Sorcerer's Stone, after Hagrid brings Harry, the next time we see Harry, he's in the cupboard. Just before Hagrid arrives in uh, Hallows, <laughs> <There it> is. <laughs> Harry is looking into his cupboard and remembering when he lived in the cupboard and kind of reminiscing about that in a weird way, almost immediately before he hears the motorbike outside. Now, see, this is exactly, so, this is exactly what I'm talking so about. Beautiful. I have never heard that parallel, but it's once you see it, you do the, oh, there it is. And that's exactly right. And that, that's, that's brilliant. That's exactly what this kind of parallelism is. So um, here's, where, here's where I start to think there's no way that she did that on purpose. That's like <laughs> such a tiny little detail. There's no way that that was intentional. I wonder if she didn't mean to make it necessarily ring theory, but especially in Sorcerers and Hallows, I feel like she was definitely looking for moments to mirror other moments in the books because I feel like Hallows you get mirroring to all of the books you get most to Sorcerers and Goblet but I think she keeps calling back to things that have come up Absolutely. throughout Definitely. because it's it's the final book you know she's trying yeah. to she's trying to show how all of this adds up to this a final absolutely chapter. absolutely I, mean, I wrote an entire book on Deathly Hallows lectures because it's uh, Deathly Hallows it's called Deathly Hallows lectures because just of that, that, that this rolling, as good as the other parts of the books were, and as worried as I was in 2007 that the last book was going to be a turkey, <laughs> um, rolling everything that was brilliant in the previous books leads you to Deathly Hallows. But having said that, the, you know, the, the giant connections to Sorcerers and Goblet 
um, point to the fact that she is deliberately writing this. And the fact that that these details, uh, that even the smallest details show up, doesn't mean that they're all, you know, uh, echoes. But the fact that, that they, they're right next to each other and they're both of this thing, you know, why does she have Harry look into the, the cupboard? Harry, we haven't had Harry look into the cupboard in, in six years. Um, she does it right then, I think, as a deliberate pointer back to Sorcerer Stone and Harry's misery there is liberation from that life. But let's go on to some of the other ones. I mean, there's, there's riding the rails at Gringotts. There's, I mean, there's no way. I mean, Griphook even mentions his first meeting in Stone to Harry during their discussion in Shell Cottage. I just read that chapter, yeah. All right, and they and they ride an almost out of control cart miles between once again and Hallows. I mean, that's that's such a deliberate setup. She she actually has one of the characters say, "Hey, remember this?" You know, um, right. I, I, it's almost like she's knocking on the door saying, "Is anybody listening?" This is like the, uh, uh, I think she was a little impatient with people not even getting the latch of her stories in Prisoner of Azkaban, because the book begins Al Post. Al Post and Al Post again. That's right. It's just like, hello, is anybody, is anybody, is anybody out there? I mean, if, if she had said, if she had had Al Post in the middle, maybe we would have gotten it, you know, but she, she, she left that out at the story turn. Um, right. We have Into the Forest again in Hallows. Um, you know, when Harry stumbles in stone onto the dying unicorn in the Forbidden Forest and the human snake drinking its blood, that's that's one of the spookiest bits in the entire series. Forgive me, you know. People talk about how the stories get darker. I'm like, have you read Sorcerer Stone? Um, <laughs> no, right, right. There was a person eating a unicorn. That, yes, yeah, yes. That's, right. that's, that's I, pretty that, terrifying. And then yeah. in the, the middle of a forest. But that first meeting right. with the Dark Lord is echoed into the forest again. I mean, when she calls it into the forest again, she is pointing straight back to that scene. Okay. Right. And I mean, and they both both of those also have to do with stones. That's right. Yeah. As well. That's so right. I mean, it's not it's not even even just the forest and Voldemort or whatever, but it's also the whole stone bit as well. That's yeah, right. even the title Harry, points to that. It, even the Sorcerer's the Stone and the Deathly Hallows, the Resurrection Stone is a hallow. That's right. And, and this is not this is not um, on my list here, but just you're pointing this out, is what happens to the Sorcerer's Stone at the end of Philosopher's Stone? It's destroyed. And the Resurrection Stone is lost, deliberately lost, right. as the other one was deliberately destroyed. I mean, th- I mean this, this uh, again, I gave this talk at a, at a, at a um, HPEF conference, one of the last ones, and there are about, what, two, one of those giant ballrooms in, in the hotels at, uh, at, right. at, at, in, in Orlando. And... After like the first four or five of these, when I'm showing these things on the screen with the, the turtle backs and, and the book's details, they started chanting, wow, wow, you know, because if you're really familiar with these stories and begin to see these parallels, you know, the, these things that go off in your head, um, like some kind of opioid, forgive me, you know, it's, it's sort of like, whoa, I'm getting a new perspective on something that I know mm-hmm. this well. How, how about, how about are you a witch, a wizard or what? <laughs> I love that yeah, one. Yeah, that's one of my favorite ones. I think it's so cute. That's right. And so, and nobody yeah. who really knows the story as well as those of us you know, who are listening to this program or are on this program, now, nobody read you know, Hermione yelling at Ron, are you a wizard or what, at the Whomping Willow, and didn't think of, of, of uh, Ron yelling that almost an exact phrase to her. Um, right. And then, then there's stop her death, right? I mean, I mean this was this was – you know, a big deal in the run up to Deathly Hallows where, um, you know, on my website, it was a given that we're, we were going to see stopper death. We were going to see the potion that Severus mentioned in his first 
uh, potions class with Harry Potter, um, we were going to see that that was what saved Dumbledore's life. And then indeed that turned out to be the case. That, I mean, there we have in the very first book, Snape saying the exact big secret on how, you know, why Dumbledore's harm is so twisted and, and how he see how he predicted that. Do, do we see the other potions that Snape mentions? We don't, we don't see him, uh, brewing, uh, bottle fame, flame, gr- brew glory. glory. That's it. We don't see either one of those two. We don't, at least we don't see them in the surface story. Um, we got, right, we got exactly. mom and, we got, we got mom and dad at Christmas. Okay. The 11 year old Harry Stone sees his family. He's fascinated by his parents' oh. living reflections. Okay. Oh. Um, and Mira here discovers over Christmas vacation and on Christmas Eve and Hallows. Harry experiences the Halloween murders of his parents through the Dark Lord's memories. Yeah, another another thing on Christmas that I discovered too, and I'm pretty sure that this is right because I looked up the dates, but um, Ron on Christmas sees his heart's deepest desires in the Mirror of Erised, and then on Christmas and Hallows with the locket, he sees his deepest fears. Absolutely. Is it Christmas? Does that happen on Christmas? I don't think it's on Christmas, but it's it's, it's, it's during that he's time. He's, time yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. he's, yeah. he's, he's been celebrating Christmas when he hears their voice through the deluminator. That's right. Because um, he hears them Christmas morning. That's right. And, and, and that cat is a perfect catch. That, that, that's exactly what a ring reader gets. Um, I cannot take credit for that. I did not discover that myself. I can't remember <laughs> where I found it, but I'm going to give credit where it's due. So that's I mean, How about, how about the death? of a Hogwarts professor. Hard for me to say out loud, right? But but Voldemort kills a Hogwarts professor at the end of Philosopher's Stone and in the first chapter of Hallows and alas again in the Shrieking Shack. You know, we, we, nowhere else do we have a death of a Hogwarts professor. Um, the, the Rolling Stone, we've already talked about, you know, that, that these these things, we have a, a, um, a Resurrection Stone and we have a Philosopher's Stone. We have the left behind Gryffindor champion, right? In, in Stone, Alice awards Neville Longbottom, the boy who had been left out of the tree, his gauntlet running, the decisive oh, yeah. points necessary for the house championship, and Neville is left behind in Hallows too, but once again proves to be a true Gryffindor and the heroic part of the final victory. I mean, the, as as fun as the Neville big oh, finish is. Oh, that's an interesting. That's an interesting thought to Goblet, where that part of that is foiled because Moody originally planned on having Neville tell Harry about Gillyweed. But Harry never asked. Yeah. You know, you know, the, 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 the Neville, true. I mean, people have done the study where they, where they follow Neville throughout the books. But what I haven't seen in that thing is um, just just the, the latch there of, you know, it's Neville's points that win the day. And then it's Neville's ability to decapitate Nagini um, and to mm-hmm. pull the sword from the hat to show that he's a true Gryffindor when everybody's always thought it's kind of a nebbish. Um, that victory is where the Dark Lord is really defeated. I mean, if Harry had defeated the Dark Lord, but Nagini is still alive, he hasn't really defeated the Dark Lord. Um, just as, you know, all the great things that happen in Philosopher's Stone don't really matter if, if Slytherin wins. And there we are in the Great Hall again, and it all comes around to the Great Hall. I mean, so we have scene, we have figure, we have question and answer. I mean, it's, it's all resolved there. But probably the, probably the biggest connection source was the Hallows. Is is Harry's Christ-like resurrection? Yeah, you know, we have we have the three day, yeah. three day, three days in the in the uh, hospital wing, um, and he, he rises from his what semi coma um, after fighting the Dark Lord mano a mano, and then we have his rising from the dead quite literally. It seems 
in Deathly Hallows in the Glade when he when he fights the Dark Lord. And that victory over death by um, self-sacrifice, you know, to something larger than yourself, really for love for your friends and your community. Mm. Um, if, if, if you don't see that connection in those two things, you're missing it. Right. I mean, and that, that, yeah, that, that happens in every one of the books, but never as explicitly with the Christian content. Um, I mean, Christianity Today, um, it, their review of Deathly Hallows was Harry Potter 7 is Matthew 6. You know, the, the parallels were just that in your face. And Rowan See, said I don't, know, that, I don't know what that I don't know what that means. What's Matthew 6? Matthew 6 is the chapter in the gospel, according to St. Matthew, um, the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And a lot of it is is um, it's actually it's, it's actually on the uh, uh, the stone in the in the. Uh, the graveyard, um, where where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Oh, that's Matthew six. That's right. Yeah. So, um, wow. But that okay. That, that's that's that was Rowling said in two thousand that she wouldn't talk about the Christian content in Harry Potter because it would give away the ending. <laughs> um, and that huh. um, and and Beatrice Groves, whose literary illusion in Harry Potter is really the most exciting thing in Harry Potter scholarship. In, in, and she, in, she has an entire column on MuggleNet too, that's right. for everybody who that, does not know that already. Um, and she should be on this show weekly yeah, because she is brilliant and funny. And uh, did I say brilliant? I should, uh, let me say brilliant again. Um, but, but she lays out, she lays out the Christian content of the series in chapter four of that book. Uh, about it's, it's called it's called the uh, the Guiler beguiled, um, and it really shows how Rowling has embedded the Christian narrative inside the book. But you know it, that it shows so prominently in the Latch, and we see a, a, a false resurrection. I'm going to jump into Goblet now. You know, we, we see the false resurrection, sort of the dark mass resurrection of the Dark Lord in Goblet. Uh, hold on, for for those who are looking to check out Beatrice's column, it's called Batilda's Notebook. And it's under the quibbler on MuggleNet, just so you know. So check it out. There's the articles. Sometimes I have to kind of like take a pause and come back to them because, <laughs> I, you know, even though I am a Ravenclaw, I am not a bookish Ravenclaw. I'm more of like the weird individualistic Ravenclaw. And I sometimes legit do not understand what she's talking about. But they're brilliant. And I always come back to them and I get Absolutely. them eventually. But they, they, take, they take effort. And, and well, she's she's a uh, professor at Oxford University in the UK, right? I mean, this is this is not um, your Hogwarts professor blogger friendly guy, uh, but but as you said, um, all effort put into uh, reading anything by Beatrice Groves is rewarded th- several times over. Um, and, and, and what a what a coup for MuggleNet to get her as as a columnist. Um, really, she. I mean, honestly, she approached us and was like, "Hey, I want to write this stuff. Will you host it?" And we were like, "Yep." You, <laughs> like, you, you don't say you, you don't say no to people like Beatrice. And you can edit this out if you want, Cat. But I urged her to do that. I said, "You Good. you need to get a, you need to get a thank huge you. form, and it's not going to happen on your Twitter feed." Um, anyway, perfect. Well, thank you, John. And we're leaving that in because credit is always ah, uh, given, ah. given where it's due, right? <laughs> well, there's a few more. There's a few more um, that I've seen here in Sorcerers and Hallows as well. So um, the Deluminators one we have not talked about yet. Yeah, which shows up obviously. <laughs> real. I mean, we don't see it in any of the other books, do we? No. No. I didn't think so. Got all my notes laid out here, Cat. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, if 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 you if you 
in my book, I've laid out 25 of them. And uh, we mentioned earlier uh, the golden snitch, which appears there. We, we talked about the, the couples, you know, that, that, that James and Lily die and Remus and uh, Tonks die. Um, these things, <laughs> it's, it's such a, um, once you see it, it's a little bit like geometric proofs, I think, that while you're struggling with the proof and you can't see how everything connects, you just don't get it and you're frustrated. Or you're, or you, maybe you enjoy it, but you're, you're, just, you're not, you're just memorizing it. But there's a moment when you actually see how the proof works. Maybe this is not a math show here, but, um, there's that, there's a thrill in a geometric proof where you go, Oh, I get it. This and this means this. Um, right. and that's what you get when you start to look at the parallels there. Um, and that's just, now, and that's just the latch, right? That's the first of four right. ring things. And I, so too, um, when I was looking up things that connect, cause honestly, I just finished Hallows, but it's been a while since I read Sorcerers is that, um, I read that we get our mention of Grindelwald and he's mentioned in both book one and book seven. And I'm super curious if we think we know we're getting five movies out of beasts. What do we think about that? You think Joe's employing those techniques for the, um, most definitely. I was wondering if you think well. so. And I think that we may not get, um, such distinct rings within the movies. We might be, we might yeah. get, you know, some looser echoes, but I think across the five movies, I'm guessing we can expect to see this. And the interesting thing to me is that she was planning to make this three movies and now it's five. I know. I was just thinking (laughs) that too. But it's five and not four. Like it's very clearly an odd number because there has to be a middle one. That's right. I, 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 I tried to get speak beasties to let me talk to them about this (laughs) because I mean, really rolling is, I think seven is a magical number to her. And if you take it is the most magical number, right? And if you take <laughs> if you take Deathly Hallows, really as the starting point of the the B story, which is basically in Deathly Hallows, you get the Grindelwald Dumbledore conflict, which is sort of the baseline to the whole Fantastic Beasts epic. And then after you know, and really uh, movie five will be the lead into Philosopher's Stone because it's the end of. Grindelwald, but the beginning of the Dark Lord. Um, so, really, so if you take you know book seven, <clears throat> book one, and make them one and seven in Fantastic Beasts, then you have the five stories. And I say that 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 this not just because of Harry Potter, but because that the Cormoran Strike books seem to be on a seven-story arc. We haven't gotten to the right, midpoint that, yet. I've heard we, that too. We get the midpoint, mm-hmm. you know, in two weeks, but um, or just a day or so after this show comes on. Um, so. That seven story arc is what we're seeing. Um, and in the first movie, sure enough, and she's, she's complained about this. She said it was, you know, that it was exasperating and frustrating the experience of writing for film. She said a lot of nice things too, but she included those two words as well. And sure enough, what we find is that there was a shooting script and they shot a lot of scenes. And then the producer and director, because they're such brilliant storytellers, cut a lot of these scenes out and at least three of those scenes are powerful um, ring connectors inside the story. 
Um, they cut out oh. Theseus's letter at the very beginning. Brother Theseus mm-hmm. is writing a letter, and they cut out um, Newt reading that letter. And the whole story is re- wait, wait, where, wait, where you get it? Wait, I feel like I don't know this information. Where that? Where what? We yeah, have that, Theseus's letter. It's a, it's an artifact, was, yeah. and, and there's a clip of him reading the letter on the ship. Yeah, um, I believe uh, that oh. letter can be seen in. Is it the expedition that has yep. it? Yeah. Something like that. Did I say expedition? I meant exposition. Wow, I, it's been a long day. Um, it's okay. Newt was on an expedition. Um. That opening scene, that opening scene tells you that the entire story is a retelling of Theseus and the Minotaur, um, and it's it's Roland's reimagining of this myth. Remember, she's a myth major, myth minor mm-hmm. at at Exeter, and so. Um, she always is playing with mythology inside her books. And she gives us that big marker. Well, she named him Theseus, for heaven's yeah, sake. It's got to connect. <laughs> yes, yeah. And that, uh, and, and uh, his, his uh, Leda is, uh, Theseus's wife in the myth is Hippolyta. So it's, it's, not, it's just uh-huh. not, not being especially obscure <gasps> here, right? Before. I mean, so, but, but we get that cut out. And so we lose really the context of the story and how the finish is supposed to work, which is another scene, which is cut out. They cut out Credence's survival. They actually shot the scene right, where Credence right. gets on the boat. But really, I think that the biggest thing that they cut out that is, that is so mind boggling is the scene in which Jacob's girlfriend uh, Mildred. Fiance. Right. Fiance, yeah. yeah. She drops him in the street. Dumps him. And yep, she is, I know. She is dressed almost in the exact outfit that Queenie is in when she comes into the bakery at the end of the you're story. You're right. You're right. That's so true. I forgot about that. And when that. they cut that scene, that's Rowling's visual parallel and echo about how everything has changed for Jacob. That basically this loser of a, of a fiance that she has, that she's only into Jacob because of, of his, someday he'll be a baker you know that jacob isn't isn't, isn't man enough for her or something because he's not making enough money and then there's queenie who, who sees inside his mind and knows his heart and will sacrifice everything i mean she's she's breaking the law when she goes into that that uh, bakery i mean that, that's that's she's i mean she's risking everything there and she's got that smile on her face like i don't care at all because i see who you really are that's a critical parallel that you're supposed to get and it was cut out of the movie Oh my gosh. Okay, so Alohomora listeners, everybody go and tweet at the Speak Beastie people. <laughs> Tell them that you've had a taste of it on this show and you want to have John be a guest and talk about all this stuff cuz um well, I, I I'm dying to hear more about that, but I want to talk about We Harry talked Potter. about narrative slow release. The first movie okay is going to have almost everything it's going to be at the finish as well. And so we know the finish is going to be about the control of the Elder Wand, and probably that Jacob will be the master of the Elder Wand at the end. Jacob? What? Yeah. Okay, wait. Where, we can't talk. Where, wait. Where we, we, we no, 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 no. That doesn't happen. Where would Dumbledore? Where it. would no. Dumbledore hide the master? I mean, because uh, Grindelwald has been disarmed inside the subway, and so um, Newt or Tina is the master of the Elder Wand. So the question is. Once Dumbledore figures that it out, depends on how he was. Once Dumbledore figures that out, how does he, how does he disguise who the real master of the Elder Wand is? This is why Dumbledore says you have to go to fight him, um, to to Newt in the in the previews we've seen for Crimes of Grindelwald. And so, but how does how does uh, 
um, Dumbledore really protect the master. The other one, all he's going to do is tell Jacob, take the wand away from Newt. And that will make him the But ma- that won't work because Jacob's oh my gosh. not magical. Oh my gosh. Uh, it, Jacob's, Jacob's not, not magical, magical, so it won't but work. He can't control a wand. He, he doesn't have a connection to a wand. He, well, um, there's something magical about Jacob, if you haven't figured that out. Between his initials being JK, he's sort of the, uh, you know, he's the author's place inside the story. And the actor has been told that his transformation in the finish is miraculous. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Wait, no more. No more. I'm trying to stay very spoiler free <laughs> with Fantastic Beasts. Okay. Anyway. And John, you're almost always right. So. Oh, you're very kind, Kat, because you, you, you know some of my boneheaded predictions, but, but. The thing is, is once you know I ring do, composition, once you know ring composition, <laughs> uh, we don't have to spell all them out, cat, right here, right? But, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. That, uh, once you know ring composition, you have a much better idea of what's going to happen. When Rowling said, I'm not going to talk about the Christian content of the series because it'll spell the ending, you might have assumed right. that there was going to be a resurrection like in book one. Um, you know, that, that, right. that would, that would cue you to that. Um, so that, this is this is the fun of this thing is that it's in everything Rowling does. It's in so, casual vacancy. It's in the the three Corman strikes that we have. It's in the screenplay, um, especially if you've done your homework and found out which scenes they cut from the supposedly original screenplay. That book is not the original screenplay. We no. we we know all the scenes that we we don't we there are right. there are something like seventeen scenes that were cut that we've had revealed to us by um, actor interviews. Um, people on the set, at the actual DVDs, having it in the extras. I mean, did you know that Grindel Graves in the beginning of the movie has a scene where he has a vision that that, that he has the reason he's after um, the the Muggles in the orphanage is because he has a vision. Um, hmm. The actor who plays uh, Grindel Graves in the film said he was really disappointed when they cut that out. Well, I'm right with you, brother, because that would have been <laughs> that would have been really the revelation of the finish. And it would have been a scene that, wow, this is because it seems nonsensical. Why is he grooming this kind of this idiot credence? Um, right. what, what is he after? If they had inserted the scene that Rowling had there as the parallel to the finish, we would have had that. It would have been a lot more credible. So, so then I have a question for you as a shoot off of something you just said. <clears throat> you said, and I'm pretty sure I'm quoting you correctly. It's in all of Rowling's work. Absolutely. So my question to you is, Cursed Child, which is a bone of contention on this show. So, just not even going to talk. <laughs> well, just I mean, here's my challenge to all of your listeners. I, I taught a class at the University of Central, Central Oklahoma on Harry Potter, and we've talked about this in reading writing uh, in uh, on Wizard Reading Formula, my online class. That. Um, once you've studied ring composition, you have to read the two halves of Cursed Child and see if the parallels match up. I haven't met a person yet who says they do. Okay, cool. That's, I mean, that's, that's all I was curious about. That's why I didn't mention it as one of the things that Rowling wrote, because she didn't write the story. Right. She did write the story. Oi. We're not going to get into that discussion, Allison. <laughs> she participated in the construction of the story, and and you see Rowling's hand inside the story, especially with the names. But the whole the sure. whole bad. I was just cur- I was just curious because honestly, I've read Cursed Child once and I've seen it once, and I was just curious because I have not done the research. Well, now now, Cat, you will you know just with just the, with knowing those four things from Mary Douglas, 
you can go to Cursed Child and read the, the beginning and the end. You know where the middle is because they take a break. <laughs> um, you, you'll find that point and then you work your way backwards and, and forwards from the middle and you should be able to make your own judgment. I'd rather let somebody else do that. <laughs> I, have no plans. I have no plans to read it again. Um, well, it's um, going to be trickier because the way theatrical scripts are written, you change scenes whenever you change location or time. And so it's going to be trickier because things might not directly add up because that's, I mean, that's it's a, not like an excellent point. It's not like, it's not like ending a chapter in a book, you know, Absolutely. It, you end a scene whenever you change location or time. So some scenes are super short. Some scenes are really long. So, I mean, you'd have to look, I think more at beats than at anything. Perfect. That's, that's that absolutely scenes. correct. And you should know that Roland, Roland, Roland does not, Roland does not follow the ring composition formula as, as tightly as she did in the Hogwarts saga in any of the books which follow. She, she um, tends to group things in parts where, where she breaks the book into seven parts and you can, you can, you can see the breaks if you, if you, if you read them very closely. Um, and, and these parts are in parallel and they don't draw a perfect turtle back. Sometimes the lines cross inside the parts, but you see the structure and you see the internal echoing, the reverse echo effect. And so I, um, because the cursed child is a collaborative event, the echoes are going to be much fainter and they won't be um, as OCD a fashion as it was in a book over which she had total control. I mean, she insists that the author whose book is beneath, whose name is beneath her is on the cover. When, when he says, we wrote the story in an interview, she says, no, you wrote the story. Um, and so she is, she is, she has distanced herself from the actual composition of the work, but she does have a part in it. So the question is, is it there? Um, again, I haven't heard anybody give me a convincing argument that it is, but I haven't done like a cat. I have not done the close reading and, 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 well, and I guess no, I have a new project. That, you know what? That's oh, and, and especially, I think, do it. <laughs> I think you're perfect at it because you get the idea of beats and how that's a different genre really yeah. than a novel. Um, and so that's the kind of reader's eyeballs that we need to actually do a test on whether this is a ring or not. Good. Um, I look forward. I mean, I'm sure that you will actually do that, Allison. And I'm excited. I'm excited <laughs> to learn when I have what time. you find. <laughs> yes. Um, so let's we before we got on our Fantastic Beast tangent, we were going to start talking about <laughs> Goblet as well. And I'm really excited to see how books one and seven and four kind of work together. And there are less uh, echoes, as you say, but they're not any less significant. Am I correct? Right. I mean, I mean, this is, this is funny. In Beatrice Groves' book, Literary Illusionary Potter, she mentions my work, I don't know, almost 20 times. And the, the one thing that, that she liked, sometimes she mentions me, it's not always flattering, but anyway, some of the stuff she mentions that's, that she was really impressed with is, is the 147 story axis. Um, there's, there's a chart inside that booklet that lays out 25 correspondences where you see 147. That, I mean, the five that I think are really important, um, are, are the folks we don't see anywhere else. Okay. We, we got, you know, we, we saw Harry with his with his folks at Christmas in both books, and he sees photos of them at the end of Stone, and we get a flashback for the Dementors. But the only other James and Lily time Harry has in the books is in the Phoenix so Song Sphere 
thanks to the Priorian Cantatum effect of the twin dueling wand chords. Okay. And speaking of the wand chords, it's only in those three books, Stone, Goblet, and Hallows, that we meet Mr. Ollivander, right? He's there in Diagonale. Right, and their wands are such a big deal. He's, right, at, he's at the right. Wing of the Wands, and he's in the Malfoy Manor basement. I mean, and at Shell Cottage. I mean, Mr. Ollivander, he's a pretty big deal because I mean, how, how, how much wand lore plays inside these books, and he's only in that axis. Similarly, in, in, the, in the three books, we get Dumbledore in a mirror, right? I mean, Harry's adventure in stone largely turns on his ability to manipulate the mirror of Erised at the story's end. Dumbledore instructs him on just this subject. And then we see Dumbledore in a mirror in both Goblet and Hallows. And each time Harry sees Albus, or what he believes to be Albus, in those books. Namely, he sees him in Faux Moody's Faux Glass and in Sirius's mirror fragment in the Malfoy Manor basement. Each time Harry is miraculously delivered from his enemies. Okay, so I mean, but, but here's, here's the two big ones for me are the Midnight Middles, right? In each one of the books. Midnight Middle. In each one of the three books, in in the in the center of the book, we're up at midnight. All right, um, we're headed out of bounds under his invisibility cloak for an adventure that doesn't end well. In Stone, Harry runs into Fluffy. In Goblet, he sees the dragons of the first trial and has his worst exchange with Ron before the Hallows bust up in the Gryffindor common room. And, and in Hallows, of course, Harry is in Godric's Hollow for his midnight meeting with Nagini, the Dark Lord, and the Living Dead. Okay. And the choice of midnight for these story turns, because midnight is the, is the midpoint of time reckonings, and Harry's invisibility at points foreshadowing that book's end or the darkness before the dawn in just three books joins them all together. I mean, that's a structural parallel. And then there's just the freakish thing about Goblet, where, do you, do you know the date? Because it's mentioned, what date Harry, um, Harry has to rush back from the, from the dragon show <laughs> with, uh, uh, with Hagrid, he has to run back to the common room because he has a date to meet Hagrid, to meet Sirius between 12 and 1. On what day? It's a good question. I don't remember. Beth, Allison, you guys remember? Now, this, this, is, this is in the Hungarian Horntail chapter. It's in November, isn't That's it? That's right. Now, it's, it's in the Hungarian Horntail chapter. November? It's the dead center of the pivotal book that Roland is called Crucial, you know, like a cross. Um, what is the day right at the center? It's November 22nd. Now, in the UK, that's 22 slash 11. But we definitely see it. Ugh. We definitely see it as 22. We see it 11 slash 22, which is a big one half. And he's wow. there between 12 and 1, which is that. And this is a, this is a exact parallel to the, um, you know, the, the uh, conclusion to Jules Verne's Around the world in eighty days, where the same kind of thing happened. But but that that uh, eleven twenty two thing tells us that we're halfway there. I mean, Rowling, did I say OCD? I mean, I'm, I'm talking about OCD. I mean that that she's given us that kind of detail and clue in the times that we are now halfway done with the entire series. Not to mention the book. We call it OGM on this show. <laughs> Because right. obligatory, obligatory genius, genius moment. Okay, okay. Now, now I have a friend who always says it's not OCD, it's CDO. You have to alphabetize those things. Um, anyway, right. that, that was, sorry, <laughs> a little OCD on my part there. All right, all right. But if, if the midnight middles isn't enough, my favorite one is the two big plans in a scramble. Really, that the the finishes of these three books follow the exact same pattern. Okay. 
okay, real quickly, Goblet features three Triwizard Tournament trials, two of which require some planning and cheating, and the third of which is a scramble of obstacles. Harry has two adventures he plans in stone as well, the trip to Duel Malfoy and to release Norbert, and the third adventure he runs is the Gauntlet of Magic Obstacles between Fluffy and the Mirror. Hallows likewise features two planned trips into the Ministry and into Gringotts, and then this seemingly endless stream of obstacles in the Battle of Hogwarts. Now get this, each of those three scrambles, those three adventures at the finish in the different books feature a plant, Devil's Snare, the Maze Hedge, and the Whopping Willow, respectively, Broomstick Flight to the Keys, the Dragon, and Fiendfire, mythological creatures, they have Cerebrus, the Sphinx, and the Chimera, there's a logic test with the Potions Poison, the Upside Down Dust, and the Ravenclaw Door, and then being saved by friends with Ron at the chess set, with Cedric and the Spider, and Luna and the Patronus Brigade of Dumbledore's Army in Hallows. The architecture of harrowing that Harry goes through in these three books is the same set piece with the same elements. Hmm. Is that a wow? Is, um, uh, is, is, is that uh, a- I mean, I, yes, I just feel overwhelmed. Mm. I, mean, that, <laughs> I that, feel so overwhelmed. When people say to me, is this deliberate or not? I say, what are the odds that those things in that detail could be in parallel and it be an accident? I mean, that's, I that's like seeing a 747 in a, in a junkyard and, and asking if it put itself together. There's just too much design necessitated by the, the parallels. Beth, I mean, how do you feel about that? You were the one who was questioning before. I'm just curious. You've been quiet. I assume you're taking it all in, so. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I, I find this stuff to be overwhelming as well, and I always have, and... I am not questioning that this is valid at all. I just, it's so hard for me to believe that all of these small little details were intentional. And I think, I definitely think the the big stuff was intentional. But the small stuff, I'm just imagining how much it would have taken to map all of that out. And I know that her notes are so extensive, but still, man, this is a lot. Okay. And here's, and here, this this, this is an excellent, excellent point is that Rowling spent five years and says she has two boxes filled with notebooks just on backstory. Okay. She spends five years filling the notebooks and then she has to tell the story as if she's a house elf with a with a mini cam over Harry's shoulder. So and, and that's an incredible accomplishment to be able to tell all these things. Hence the invention of the pensieve and all these things for information dumps. But you, this is such, she funnels it all through that perspective. She says that she planned all those things for five years, and then she says she spent six months planning each book before she began writing. So she already has the story in place. And then she sent six months planning. So that's where you see, I think, the details. I mean, she said in her, her Paxman interview that she has a 12 block thingy that she used to make sure that everything was in place because it gets quite complicated. And I'm like, oh dear, does it ever? Is, yeah, is, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's that spreadsheet that we've seen go around the internet, right? That's where right. she's got everything like blocked off on graphing paper. That's or right. And that, that's not a ring notebook. And so I will definitely allow 
that Rowling may have never heard the words ring composition, but that from her study of Tolkien and Lewis and Nabokov, Nabokov being, you know, her favorite writer of the 20th century, all of whom are ring writers and, 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 and real formalists, real people attentive to structure, that the story form is as important to them as what goes on. I mean, every single chronicle of Narnia is a, is, is a perfect ring. In fact, the, uh, the, the chapter structure of Philosopher's Stone is the exact story structure of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They have the same pivots and the same chapter echoes. Um, wow. I mean, if you, I mean, Rowling is, 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 is in large part not just being influenced by Lewis, but she is parodying him. Yeah. So, she's, she's writing a story about the story that Lewis wrote and changing it into a postmodern story. Lewis is very much a man of empire. Mm. Rowling is very much a person of the postmodern inclusive and diversity. She's rewriting um, Lewis's fantasies using his tools because they're very effective. Well, and I, th- I think um, I, I'm so fascinated by what Rowling does because while the ring composition is incredibly obvious once you are tuned into it, it doesn't hit you over the head. It doesn't feel formulaic, which I think uh, some of the writers that you've mentioned, it does feel a little bit formulaic. It makes it easy to predict what's going to happen, even if you aren't uh, aware of the use of ring composition. Your your brain figures it out. Um, and I don't think that's happening with Rowling's writing, or at least n- it's not happening in a way that I'm aware of. Um and I find it so fascinating that she's able to weave something that could be so formulaic into such a natural storytelling. And that, to me, is even more genius than all of these little details that we're finding. I hear you. I, and I agree. Um, I vote for that. <laughs> I mean, this, this, um, accomplishment and I don't know if you heard this, but, uh, there's not going to be a Nobel prize for literature in 2018. Um, and so I didn't, and so really, they, yeah. they've had a me too moment <laughs> and, uh, a humiliating oh. me too moment. And so they've taken a break. They're going to award two prizes, they say in 2019, but uh, someone has, has left into the breach and said, we're going to have offer this alternative prize, the new Academy Prize. Um, and Rowling was nominated, and people reported it as kind of a condescending thing, like, wow, one of the nominees was J.K. Rowling, <laughs> because she's not a serious writer. Right? I mean, she's just a she's just a popular writing for adults. She's a popular writer of children's books, and so she's not sufficiently literary or serious. Now I'm, I'm writing an article for a, an anthology um, by Cecilia Contrafar about this a literary academic approach to the thing. And what I'm arguing there is really, if you take the formalist approach about structure and style, Rowling is a master of the craft. And a large part of it is, as you pointed out, is that um, you can't see the lines. You can't see, um, the, you know, you're not, you're, not, you're not imagining the blueprint while you're walking through your house. You're just overwhelmed by the effect of, of the structure. Um, it, it works without you saying, oh, I see. This is what that shape does to me. I mean, none of that. Um, that's really her brilliance. Well, and um, we, we see that throughout 
everything we discuss about the Potter books, where at a surface level, the stories are so wonderful and amazing, and the more you dig, the more there is to find. And now we're really in the weeds in this conversation, and there's still more deeper down. And so the layering of complexity that she has provided is pretty fascinating because, you know, you think about some works that maybe are more, quote, literary, and you have to you have to come at it from the literary mindset in order to get the full effect of it. But Harry Potter or, isn't or you, like that. You, you, you can also come at it as, as a scientist, believe it or not. I mean, and that's really the, the Russian formalist that talks about this the most. They were really trying to give a scientific study of literature. But uh, Nabokov, Vladimir Nabokov, he was, uh, believe it or not, he was a butterfly scientist. He was a lepidopterist. And really, uh, you know, some of the, the best scholars of Nabokov's work say that what he was trying to do inside his work was to give the serious reader, and he was only writing really for the serious reader, um, the thrill of discovery that he had when he was uh, hunting, examining, and dissecting butterflies. That that thrill of what, you know, the, the complexity which is beneath the surface that can, be, can only be found by rereading and thinking and meditating on what the story has done. That's the thrill of discovery that he wanted to communicate to his serious reader. And, and think about it. I mean, how many millions, hundreds of millions of people have read these stories and how few people have even gotten into the, the, just the, the basics of the architecture of the building that they're in. Um, and as I said, the, the, here's the group in New York. Um, really the funniest group, I think, in, in fandom, um, and, and talk about serious about their cosplay and their, and their discussion of the books and the movies and such. Um, for, for those that don't know, they are the great minds behind Mysticon. That's so right. Just that's right. Keep that in mind. Um, yeah. What, what, what a wonderful thing. But that, that group told me that their, that the ring composition thing was just an absolute revelation to them. And, they immediately began, you know, doing it themselves. And the, the people that are writing to me telling me, you know, what's going on. That, that's, that's the, that's what Roland, I think, gets from Nabokov is that she's going to reward the serious reader with layer beneath layer beneath layer, which is going to be richer and richer. Um, it's going to give you more and more of what the story really is. Because remember, we only get the story from Harry's perspective. There's so much more going on. And she gives us the other story, but only by suggestion, by what, by what Harry sees or hears about. Um, and you can piece together those pieces and find out that great stuff. But I think the, the, the structural piece you have to get first. Then you get into the alchemy. Um, and that's, I, mean, that, I should tell you, that's how I found out about ring composition was I was trying to find the source for the alchemy. Um, I knew that C.S. Lewis's space trilogy novels were heavily alchemical. And while reading the critical literature on them, I found out that they were each one of them was a ring composition. And that's when I started to think, oh, if she got the alchemy from this, maybe she got the ring composition. And then I found Brett Kendall's work and we and went from there to take down each one of the books and see how they were all rings. You know, William Sprague has done the breakdown of the series in terms of how the first book is the alchemical rubetto. And then the second one, the Albedo and Negretto, and then in reverse order after Goblet, and the three Triwizard tasks are the three stages of alchemy. 
Um, so the whole story as, is, is a ring in reverse order of the alchemical process. And, and, and this, as much as we know of, of the history of the series, we know that Rowling was after that from the start. I mean, there was, there was an actual alchemy, there was an alchemy professor in the first book and the first drafts, um, probably the person who becomes Snape. Um, and that there's a, there's a book, um, alchemy's uh, upper students are allowed to take alchemy. Um, and all that is washed because Rowling decides to subvert it and put it below the surface so that only serious students that took the title of the first book seriously would know to look for it. But it's there. It's a wow thing. Wow. Anyway, we're, 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 we're way off. But, I mean, just, just back to one, four and seven, the last one there, um, is, yeah. is sacred blood and cursed life. I mean, everything turns ultimately not on being born with the right blood, but in having a pure heart and the right relationship with sanctifying or salvific blood. In stone, Harry is saved by the blood of his mother and her sacrificial love that permeates him. The Dark Lord is cursed because he drinks the blood of the unicorn unworthily. That's really that's really the end of the books in a way. We know the Dark Lord's going to lose because of that. In the Goblet Graveyard Nightmare, at Little Hangleton, Harry loses the superficial protection of the blood when Voldemort uses it in a black mass liturgy to remake himself bodily. But we learn in Hallows that this blasphemous and desecrating service seals Riddle's fate by binding him to Harry in the blood. Harry's escape in the Forbidden Forest from the Death Curse is consequent to the bond of blood he has with the Dark Lord. I mean, the Dark Lord blows it by, you know, by making himself out of this blood made holy by sacrificial love, and it dooms him in each of the three books. And that's, that's the big connection with one, four, and seven is the blood issue. Um, it's not about pure blood and mud blood and all that stuff. Though that's an important pointer to the sacred blood relationship and sacrificial love. Um, Goblet's the pivot because the goblet is a clear pointer to the Holy Grail. That's why she makes it the title of the book, even though it only has one chapter in the story. Um, it was originally um, uh, the Knights of Walpurgis, I think. Harry Potter and the Knights of Walpurgis. But um, she changes the goblet so of fire. So stupid. <laughs> I, 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 I think she changed the goblet of fire because she wanted to point to that almost Eucharistic content of the story, which is, is was what binds all four of them together. Anyway, more, that's, I mean, one, four, and seven are a wow. Um, uh, how much more you guys want? This, 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 this goes on for days. Well, I want to touch on too. So, I mean, we touched on the, the one, four, and seven, um, and we've only briefly kind of touched on the books themselves as individual rings, which I think I'd really like to examine book one and seven as well, since we talked about them one and seven together, one, seven, and four together. I'd like to talk about them individually, I think. Okay. Um, really, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Um, lots of fun here. Um, the latch is we have chapters one and two, The Boy Who Lived and The Vanishing Glass. And then the finish, we have The Man with Two Faces. All right, so we, we, you guys have a grip of these stories. You, you, you know those First two chapters and the last one. So Harry survives his meeting with the Dark Lord as a baby at the book's beginning and again in the finale as an 11-year-old. Mm -hmm. He has parallel experiences, too, with a glass. Now, glass in King James Version English is a word for mirror, right? So he had oh. okay, the vanishing oh. glass. Like a looking glass. That's right. A serpent character at the zoo's reptile house and at story's end in the front of the mirror of Erised. 
So he has the friendly snake who he lets go by coming through the glass. And in the end, that, that, you know, he, he's able to get the stone put in his pocket by something coming through the glass while the snake is behind him already on this side of the glass. The serpent in the front half is trying to get out of the glass. And in this reverse echo, the arrow of Slytherin, the clothes is trying to get into the mirror. You get it? Yep. Oh my gosh. Right, the big connection is the big connection is obviously the miraculous survival. You know, Harry meets the Dark Lord, he should of die, course. he lives. Hooray. So so wait, so these are like the first two chapters to the one chapter? That's right. That's right. You see, sometimes she Is is that something that, that happens often? Like it's not just one the, to one. No, yeah, yeah, it happens often. It happens often. The okay. only book in which there are none of those is uh Goblet of Fire, I think. Which, I think Goblet of Fire is a is a pure matchup. One to one, all it's the way. It's pure one to one. That's the right. Whole way. And that's and, and wow. that is a weird book. And and as you know, Rowling was exhausted in the book. Rowling actually turned in the advance she had for book five, um, and said that she couldn't do it. She, she was delivering one a year through two thousand. And Bloomsbury and Scholastic wisely told her to keep the advance for as long as she liked. <laughs> that they were they were not going to hold her to the one a year commitment. Just keep the advance, dear, and keep writing that book. And then, then we had the three years. God bless her and made that decision. Amen. <laughs> That's right. I think that decision was made as soon as she told them, I want more time. You take as long as you like, dear. You know, the movies are coming out. We're just going to cash in. I mean, yeah, they were not going to say no to her, were they? That's right. Go find yourself another publisher, you prima donna. Um, no, that, that wasn't happening. All right. Um, the midpoint of Philosopher's Stone, the turn, is chapter nine. So you got one and two, and then 17, you've got it, you get nine. Again, the same thing with uh, the line in which in the wardrobe. Harry's out under his invisibility cloak at midnight, and he survives a face-to-face meeting with Fluffy. The pivot chapter, the midnight duel, is named for the turning point in every day's accounting of time and for the resolution of contraries that a duel represents. And there's no duel in the chapter. So it's definitely a play on there being these two halves. Harry survives the Dark Lord, a visit with a snake, a run-in with Fluffy, and the next chapter with a troll, as as well as Quirrell de Mort, said, which gives the reader miraculous survival chapters in the beginning, middle, and the end. That basically we're seeing that the only time he really faces death, other than the troll scene in um, Philosopher's Stone, is when he's face-to-face with Fluffy. You could also almost say the people who are like, most pivotal in Harry's story show up in all three of those chapters. I mean, we have one and two, he's protected by his mother, right? Then we have midnight duel. He goes through that with Ron and Hermione. And that's one of the things that starts to kind of cement them together. And then 17, he has a whole conversation with Dumbledore about what it all means. Well, I mean, this is, this is fascinating because, um, that might be, stretching. Well, it's, it's, and that's, you know, nobody gets any of these things without stretching. Um, cause it all seems too incredible to be true until it sort of snaps into place. And yeah, there's, my floor is filled with the, could it be? No, it couldn't be. Um, that, that's, that's, that's the exercise. So welcome. I think that's our second tagline on this show. Open the Dumbledore. Could it be? No. I mean, <laughs> yeah. We've had whole conversations about, about like, is it sentient? So, I mean, you're on the right show here. Could I, it I be? Promise. But maybe. <laughs> right, but maybe exactly. Maybe. Is it <laughs> right? Right. We do not have enough information on this. If we subject. stretch enough, <laughs> I, I mentioned that 
Um, we, have, we have a guest on Reading, Writing, Rolling who's written his master's thesis um, about this I mean, uh, name, um, fish, of all things. He's, he's, he's uh, written a detective story breakdown in a chiasmus of the structure. And sure enough, he has Dumbledore lies to the beginning of Philosopher's Storm. Dumbledore lies to McGonagall and then Dumbledore lies to Harry at the finish. I mean, that, that these um, these things are in parallel and, and, and reach up. Now, he's got a, he's got an entirely different take on this than I do, really. He's he's using a strict chiasmus structural rather than the ring composition. But those are those are relatively similar, just not as much emphasis on the, on the center and the one. Um, what episode of Reading, Writing, Rolling is that? That's coming up in a couple weeks, right? Yeah, we're going to record that um, on the 11th, and it'll be probably the month after. Okay, perfect. So listeners, be on the lookout for sure. Yeah. Allison, sorry. I just, I just had a thought. No, sorry. It just popped into my head. Um, you were talking about snake parallels as well. Well, there's supposed to be a snake in the Midnight Duel, but he never shows ah, up. Ah, that's right. The missing, the missing Slytherin. And then and the Draco, his name. Perfect. Perfect. And we, and we, oh, and we, and we Allison, the gold star. And we, and we also <laughs> didn't mention, you know, the 147 thing is we have a, a, a dragon as a baby, a dragon as a mother, mm-hmm. and then we have a dragon as, as an aging. We have the three, you know, life cycle of a dragon portrayed mm-hmm. in stone, goblet, and hallows. And oh, the only yeah. time we ever see dragons at all, so. That's in those three. That's it. I mean, I mean again... When you hear those things, you can say, well, I don't know. When you see 25 of them laid out, you do the, whoa. You know, maybe some of these aren't true, but that's a lot of parallels. Um, because, you know, it's, it's, as you know, these these are fairly long books. And to leave out books two, three, five, and six, but they only appear in one, four, and seven, that points to a deliberate axis. Um, okay, chapter correspondences in Philosopher's Stone. Okay, chapters three... Letters from No One, Chapter 16, Through the Trap Door. we got a big travel adventure, right? <laughs> the, the Dursleys flee magical danger across the UK as Uncle Vernon fears for his life. And then Harry is Ron and Hermione pursue real danger under Hogwarts with little thought for their lives. My favorite one, I think, in uh, Philosopher's Stone is Chapter 6, Journey from Platform 9 3 quarters, and 12, The Mirror of Erised. Okay, Ron and Harry meet and share their complementary and opposite fears on the Hogwarts Express, right? One has too much family. One doesn't have enough family. One's never going to be able to match up to his family. One that doesn't know anything about wizardry is going to be a disaster. At Christmas time, they share their as different dreams in front of the mirror of Erised. Harry, without family, longs to be with them. There they are. Mm. Ron, from a large family, wants to start apart. There he is with all the awards. Those are echoes that... It's an unbelievable reflection, and there's a mirror in it. Just to, just to, just to make sure you get that, you know, reverse image idea. There's that mirror of Arizona. Um Also, I guess Harry gets adopted into Ron's family, kind of in both of those, as Molly takes him in on the platform and shows him what to do, and then Molly also sends him a sweater, and he like is has that connection to all of the kids. When they all come in and talk about the sweaters. Yeah, this 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 is so much fun. Emma Nicholson in Australia just just did a guest post at Hogwarts Professor where she talks about um, Molly Weasley's semi miraculous appearance just when Harry is going into Platform Nine and three quarters, and she points out the three or four clues we have in the rest of the book that that was no accident. That essentially Albus Dumbledore set that up. 
Um, ooh, oh, ooh, I really want to read about that now. Because <laughs> I always thought it was very convenient that Molly was like, platform nine and three quarters this way. That's, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it, it's, it's one of those things where you're reading it through Harry's eyes largely. And so he doesn't know who this woman is. Um, but then looking back on you think, what are the odds at that exact moment? And that she's not really surprised that Harry Potter is there. And, you know, don't, don't point at him. Wait, guys, this, this like almost, almost, oh, like, oh, like the most distant, almost possible makes me buy into the whole Dumbledore is Ron theory. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Because like, he set it up, you know, like. Don't blame me for this, man. This is terrible. My (laughs) favorite. Yes. No, I mean, like, Double I don't, I mean, I think it is brilliant and I don't, I don't buy into it, but if Dumbledore set up Molly being on the platform that I just am like, like, it is a wow thing. I mean, you said that earlier, John, and I've been thinking about it, like, holy crap. It almost makes me buy into what they brought up on the last episode that the order was still loosely formed together before they officially got back together, you know, like people were being sent to watch Harry before. That's right. The old crowd is already back together. Not much of a mission at the end of, of uh, Goblet. Oh, well, um, what more have we got? You want to, you want to do Hallows? Which... Yeah, let's, t- let's touch on Hallows and then we'll give the, the listeners um, a break to go and sit down <laughs> and go, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed by this conversation. If they haven't already stopped listening, if you're still with us, like kudos to you because <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> All right, you know that that uh, Lin Manuel Miranda calls her the the maestro of reprise about Half Blood Prince because the parallelism in Half Blood Prince and in Deathly Hallows are uh, phenomenally intricate and detailed. Um, Do you know how badly I want to have him on this show? coming from him is also incredible because i could go on for like years about all the parallelism in hamilton and how amazing it is but like honestly musically thematically lyrically so when he said that about her that was a lin-manuel benranda shout out that's right he gets it and he sees it when reading a novel which is not his artistry right it's it's so in your face you know that that moment where dumbledore says when he when he takes Harry um, to see Slughorn, you know, get out your wand because we're in danger. And he says, oh, really? And he says, no, not really. You are with me. And then the parallel opposite, when they're in the cave, Dumbledore's had too much to drink and he has to side operate with Harry, not what you really want to be doing. Um, and he says, I'm not worried, Harry, because I am um, with you. I am with you. Always on the top ten list of moments for for real they Harry Potter fans. They make me cry every time. There you yeah, go. I love those moments. Lin Manuel Miranda saw the "I am with you" echo and said, "You are the maestro of reprise." And that's uh, Hallows, just like um, uh, Half Blood Prince, only even more so, is a masterpiece of ring composition. Both of them have double um, latches. Both of them have double axes. And then they have this, the, the parallels going across that are phenomenal. Um, and I, I, as you said, this is already getting kind of long. But oh, I mean, not for our listeners, John. This is like a drop in the bucket. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, the first axis is the death of love and love over death, which is chapters one, Dark Lord Ascending, and 36, The Flaw in the Plan. I mean, the, the Hallows finale in the Harbor's Great Hall has echoes of the first and central novels we talked about, but also with its own story opening. 
In Dark Lord Ascending, the Malfoys are humiliated. Bellatrix is told to kill Remus and Tonks. Snape reports to his master, and Charity Burbage, whose first name means love, is murdered and eaten by Nagini. Mm. In the reverse Echo finale, the flaw in the pan, plan, Narcissa betrays the Dark Lord. Bellatrix is slain. Snape's true loyalty is revealed. Nagini is decapitated, and love conquers death after being mocked explicitly by the Dark Lord. And that, that is a wow latch. But it's not the only one, okay? The second chapter, In Memoriam, and the next to last chapter, King's Cross, are a set of Harry and Dumbledore meetings. In the first, Harry reads the Daily Prophet articles about Albus and regrets not asking Dumbledore more questions and learning his story. Mm. Harry's angry that he won't ever look into his eyes again after he sees the eye in the mirror. In the chapter, Echo at Book Ends, Harry meets with the late headmaster at King's Cross, asks him questions, learns the bio, and resolved his anger. And the direct link here is wondering what Albus would have seen in the mirror of Erised and finding out in Albus's tears about his family. Okay? I mean, those, those are super powerful latches that, are, that have corresponding middle points. Okay. Right. What's the middle? The middle point of the uh, the Dumbledore latch, because there's there's a basically a, a Dark Lord Snape latch, and there's a Dumbledore latch. The the Dumbledore. Oh my gosh. The, the, the Dumbledore. I know this is. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, looking at it right now and just freaking. The out. Dumbledore yeah. center is is the life and lives of Albus Dumbledore, chapter eighteen. I mean, lies is the turning point of the story arc begun in in memoriam. Where, chat, where, where Harry reads that interview with Rita Skeeter about her Dumbledore tell-all bio. And it's concluded in King's Cross where Harry at last learns the truth about and receives an apology from Dumbledore. But Lies, the chapter, features Harry reading the book described in the opening chapter and that part of the book about the time in Dumbledore's life, the death of Ariana, that he explains to Harry at story's end. So we get the pointer to the beginning and to the finish in that, in that pivot. And th- but that's, th- that's only the Dumbledore story turn. The Silver Doe, chapter 19, the chapter that, that Rowling reads when she's asked to read any chapter from her books, we get the key players in the Silver Doe from the opening chapter, Dark Lord Ascending. We get Snape, Lord Voldemort, and Love Suspended by Hate. They're all present in Doe, though they're concealed. Severus is responsible for the Doe Patronus and the delivery of Goddard Gryffindor's sword. Voldy is in his Horcrux, Right. Hmm. And Hermione's love for Ron is in the balance with her anger bordering on hatred at his return. In the book's finale, The Flaw in the Plan, Severus's true loyalties and great courage are revealed. Voldemort himself is destroyed by Gryffindor valor. And Harry's heroic sacrifice made in love for his friends proves to be a power far greater and unifying than the hate and discord of the ego driven evil one. I mean, that that is a masterpiece. That they're not even in this. They're not even on the in the surface story. You don't see Severus Snape in the Silver Doe, and yet it's the perfect pivot because the, the invisible presence is from the beginning and the and is revealed in the end. Um, mm. Really, you talk about the genius moments. Every every almost every point of Deathly Hallows is loaded with it. But the latch and the and the turns inside that story, that double Dumbledore Snape Voldemort thing, just like the, those two things are going. In parallel throughout the entire series, they're shown in the structure of the book. And yet somehow there are people who dislike Deathly Hallows, which I've never understood. I don't get it. it. Only, it feels like only, I don't get it. Only because of one thing. I, and, and, and people that I re- almost revere 
in fandom um, that don't like Deathly Hallows. I mentioned I mentioned the Red Hen, um, whose 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 work is phenomenal on this subject. The expectations were so high for Deathly Hallows, and the speculation so intense based on the clues that we had that when so much of Deathly Hallows turned on the Deathly Hallows that we didn't know about, that's why. At least Joyce Adele, the red hen, oh, was very because it was all the unexpected stuff that That's they right. couldn't. They thought predict. it was. They thought it well, was. It was. It was a cheat. Um, anyway. Well, they're petty. That's dumb. oh, don't 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 <laughs> don't say that about my friends, Cat. I, I don't let them, I don't let them say bad things about you. Doggone That's it. true. All right. Anyway, um, let's let's talk about the internal. There's so many parallels in that. Let's just do do two because they're they're mind blowing, and these involve multiple chapters each. Um, uh, confrontation with the Dark Lord. This is chapters three and four and chapters 34. Easy to remember. The Dursleys departing and the Seven Potters with chapter 34, the forest again. The, 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 the Hallows third, fourth, and anti-penal chapters echo one another most obviously in being confrontations with the Dark Lord that Harry semi-miraculously survives, but there are other touches as well. We get Petunia's and Lily's looks at Harry in those two those two sets. Harry's thinking as he walks into the forest about his escape from Privet Drive. Harry's walk through the house and walk away from Hogwarts with memories are paired sets separated by 30 chapters. But it's it really, it's Harry Hagrid and Lord Voldemort and the Chosen One's seeming death in each that bind those chapters of mirror images. But here's the part, Kat, that I think you're going to remember. I mean, there's two things. These, these last two are, are really just mind-blowing. These are four chapters. Chapters 10 through 13, <laughs> excuse me, and chapters 25 and 26, um, which is which is Creature's Tale, The Bribe, Magic is Might, and the Muggleborn Registration Commission, and Shell Cottage and Gringotts. Th- this is where I call I call these sets the refuge and underground adventure. I mean, to me, the big echo inside Deathly Hallows is the chapter sets detailing Harry's two big plots to find and steal specific Voldemort Horcruxes. The first is the ministry break-in to take the locket Horcrux from Umbridge. The second is the great Gringotts robbery to get the possessed Hufflepuff cup. Both times, the run-up to the break-in takes place in a house of refuge with the surprise assistance and cooperation of a magical creature who is no friend to the trio or wizards in general. Right? We got we got um, um, Creature and we got Grip Hook. Right. Both two are made with liberal doses of Polyjuice Potion, and both are assaults on underground wizarding world bastions of power. Both Horcrux recoveries are discovered during the fog of war inevitable to adolescent planning. Both succeed because of Harry's quick thinking under pressure. Both escapes land the threesome in natural scenes of great beauty and isolation. To highlight these parallels, and this is a, this is a, this is the killer to me, each set has a vignette with Remus Lupin. The first one of him announcing Dora's pregnancy and revealing Lupin's cowardice in the house of Harry's godfather. And the second is Teddy Lupin's birth announcement with the request that Harry be his godfather. Wow. Oh, come on. Is that, I mean, that, is, that is a screaming wow. I love that one. Um, anyway, the bracketing there is, is incredible. Um, but maybe the most unbelievable one that, that's, that's, that's best to use for people that are skeptical about ring composition is, is the chapter sets of chapters 15 and 22, The Goblin's Revenge 
and the Deathly Hallows. And this one is, mm. is this one is, is, is snatched conversations. I mean, these are the most bizarre and unlikely events of Hallows, and they take place in parallel chapters and clearly echo the other. The conversation of wizards and goblins on the run, overheard via extendable ears by our invisible threesome, and the Potter Watch wireless broadcast that Ron, 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 not the sharpest knife in the drawer, he tunes into this program by guessing the right word at the right moment while waving a wand over his radio. I mean, how unlikely is that? Hey, John, don't talk about my friends that way. Okay, I won't. I, I love Ron. I, I love book Ron, but it's, this is so unlikely, right? I mean, Harry... It is. No, you're right. It totally is. Harry, Harry catches up on outside events, and the pair of Snatch Conversations mention several of the same things. In one, we learn that Hagrid takes three rebels into the Forbidden Forest, in the next, he has a support Harry Potter party in his hut, probably with the same rebels. Why aren't we all throwing support Harry Potter parties all the time? I'm sorry, you just reminded like me that. of that. We should, like, I let's know, make we it a should. Thing. Yeah. I mean, forget resistance. <laughs> support, support Harry support Potter. Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> on, on the riverbank, the wizards and goblins tell their news. On Potter Watch, River updates these same refugees' woeful status. Oh, right. I mean, basically, the, you know, the wizards and goblins tell us about the people at, at that, mm-hmm. and then River tells us the opposite, right? Wow. <laughs> but here's here's the killer. Okay, that's incredible too, because when you think when you think about why Lee's code name is River, it's because his last name is Jordan, <laughs> as in the Jordan that's River. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, wait. Okay, you have okay. Keep, right, but, keep blowing your mind, Sean. Go ahead. Here's, here's, here's <laughs> maybe the killer for the whole thing. Is 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 maybe the most. Im- important single paragraph in the entire series is Harry's burial of of the mad eye at the beginning of the of the goblin's revenge he he leaves the security of of the hut he and all the spells around it he goes out by himself he finds the old gnarled oak tree um and he buries the eyeball in its root and makes the sign of the cross into the thing now Harry's no christian um and, and believe it or not this this takes a whole chapter of Deathly Hallows lectures. That's actually a snapshot that Harry understands the esoteric meaning of the Deathly Hallows symbol. Um, all all the the tree of life um, and uh, the the circle as as um, uh, anyway, it's, it's a very complicated thing. But it's it's told inside the story at the burial of Mad Eye, and that happens in the first paragraph of the Goblin's Revenge. Mm. Does anybody remember what the last? Thing that happens in the Deathly Hallows chapter in 22 is the next password will be Mad Eye. Bingo. I mean, I mean, it, I mean that that those two chapters that are in parallel have a beginning which is all about Mad Eye, and the conclusion to the parallel chapter is the the password for the next show is Mad Eye. Um, I mean, that's that's a little bit like Owl Post and Owl Post again. Um, it, or, mm. or I am with you right. and you are with me. I mean, that, that's one of those, whoa, that's, that's pretty in your face. Um, and, and that Rowling is saying, how could you, how can you not see how absurd the, uh, the likelihood of these things are? One that in all of the United Kingdom, we happen to wind up next to a creek bed that has goblins and wizards talking about our best friends. <laughs> and then the, the impossibility of Ron choosing a single word out of all possible words at the right moment while waving his wand over a radio, um, and getting, 
the news about the wizards, about the uh, the goblins and wizards on the creek bed. And that it happens to be the beginning of the broadcast. Right, exactly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if, if when people say to me, um, you know, what one 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 thing do I need to read to really get ring composition? I say, well, read the booklet, look at the charts, but really just read Deathly Hallows and read the first chapter, the last chapter, and then work your way back and see how these things group. And you'll see, you know, those snatch conversations or the, the parallels between, you know, the invasion of, of the ministry and the invasion of Gringotts. I mean, all those things are laid out to kind of beat you over the head once you see it. Once you see it, you do the, oh, there, there it goes. Um, <gasps> Sorry. Did something just beat you over the head? Yes. What? It was about Cursed Child. Oh. <laughs> the beginning and the end parallel each other because at the beginning – Harry and Albus have a one-on-one -on -one heartfelt conversation about Albus's biggest fear at the time. And at the end, they also have a one-on-one -on -one heartfelt conversation about their biggest fears. We're, we are one fourth of the way there. <laughs> we got, we, we got, we got <laughs> have you been four thinking characters. about this whole time, Allison? But, but you know, what? no, it, it, it literally just popped in my head because I was trying to, because I think the password Ron uses to get, to Potter Watch, I think he says it's Albus. it's Albus. He does, yeah. And so then I was thinking, because Albus, and I was like, Albus Dumbledore, and then Albus Potter, and then it popped into my head, and there we go. So what naturally, you need to find is, it, is the pivot. Does it have that feature? Does it have questions about these things? Is that the crisis point where where Harry says to Ginny, I wish, you know, we'd never had children or something? I mean, it's kind of the, kind of the crazy things that happen in Cursed Child. Is that, is that a reflection of the beginning and a pointer to the finish. If that's there, then we're really almost halfway there. We have the axis. Now we just have to find the parallels. Yeah, I'd have to look at it again. But but you know what? I mean, it may sound, it may sound petty to say, hey, we're one-fourth of the way there. But if you haven't got a latch, there's no chance you have any ring at all. <laughs> so you found the first thing. That's important. Um, that's, not a, that's not a small thing. Look at Allison. It's a win for you and Cursed Child. Woo! Woo! I'm getting wow. that cursed, so, this is not a Cursed Child fan club. Silence. Well, Silence. From, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's a topic for the seven episodes we've already recorded uh, on we'll Cursed just, Child. We'll just say I have learned to shut uh, now and ignore everyone else. The jury's still out. Allison really loves it. Allison really loves it. Some of <sighs> us, um, I really enjoyed the performance and... and not you know i think the script's a little silly but then there are some people who just vehemently hate it so we kind of we run the gamut well if your show. listeners want to listen to one more show on cursed child we had dolores gordon smith tracy beeler and heidi tandy okay uh oh, and heidi, heidi you know people. heidi man okay. she's, she's the greatest and they had they had all seen the play two of them had seen it in new york and and two of them had seen it in london and um, all of them, very serious readers of Harry Potter. Um, Heidi, one of the leaders of um, really serious conversation back in the days from Harry Potter for grownups. That conversation is a wow because, uh, for example, Dolores Gordon-Smith, who's an accomplished mystery writer herself, um, she doesn't like the book at all, but she thought the performances were spectacular. I'm, I'm right there with her. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, that's, I mean, that's why I'm interested in um, your take on this as a ring composition. If you're sensitive to how things work in theater, do the beats match up? Um, not necessarily a scene like, because scenes aren't like chapters. 
Um, And so I look forward, I really look forward to hearing what you got on that. I'm sure she'll report back. Ah, she can come on reading, writing. Wow. She can come on reading, writing, rolling. We can talk about that. Uh, Perfect. We're going to do all sorts of cross pollination here. I love it. We are. I mean, and that's that's kind of what we're all about here on MuggleNet with our podcasts, you know. So, but we're going to. I mean, I feel like we're we're almost two hours in here, and I feel like we've kind of only scratched the surface. But I think in order to not completely overwhelm our listeners. This is a really good place. <laughs> or ourselves. Or ourselves. <laughs> Although, like, I wish I had been around to go to all those lectures. And I wish, I mean, John, just go to more conventions and talk all the time because hey. I want to hear all about this all the time. <laughs> but I'll but I'll be I'll be at Mysticon. Perfect. We love Mysticon. And thank you for taking the time to enlighten us and blow our minds and chat with us for a couple hours tonight. And we sincerely appreciate it. You've seen how, how painful it is for me to talk about it. And you have to pull this out of me. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah. I thank you. Cause I love talking about, uh, Rowling's structural genius. And I love talking with, um, serious readers of Harry Potter that can get it. Um, cause I, I could see the lights go on at this distance from you all through my magic mirror mm-hmm. here. And it was a lot of fun to see that. Oh. Wow. I'm sure you'll be getting a lot of letters from our readers. I, I, should, I, should, <laughs> I should tell you that the most fun for me was being in my basement in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and reading these books, first chapter, last chapter, and then working my way up the story. And Kat, I want to hear from you as you do that, because I know you're going to see a lot of stuff that I missed. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> I should, I should, I, well, I tell you that uh, readers that do that, and I think there's only been maybe 20 or 30 that have talked to me about doing that themselves. All of them have said on their 15th or 16th read, um, this was the one that blew their minds as, as much as their first Great. reading did. Listen, I've, I've been, I've been in the Potter fandom for 15 years now. I've worked for MuggleNet. It'll be 12 years in October. I feel like if I'm going to make Harry Potter my life, I may as well make it my career too. So like, why not? Hey, well, yeah. I hope that some of your yeah. listeners will come to, I, I, I'm going to be launch relaunching my wizard reading formula seven week class where we talk the ring composition is its, its own week. Um, and we actually do a, a ring composition workshop where we break down a rolling novel and the students in the class do the thing. I show them how to tape out, how to create the materials in which to do this easily to chart it. Um, and I'm going to do that for lethal white, the uh, fourth book in September. Perfect. Where, where can our listeners find you on the web? Where's that information? Are you on Twitter? What's your email? All that stuff. Okay. It's, it's on that Hogwarts prof and on Twitter and my, uh, my website at horseshogwartsprofessor.com. I'm at reading, writing, rolling, and God willing, there'll be announcements on MuggleNet when my class is offered again. Mm-hmm. Not God willing. We'll, <laughs> we'll, annou- we'll announce it. Keep an eye to MuggleNet, cat, guys. Cat yeah. willing. I didn't want to go there. Cat willing. Uh, yeah, this 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 seven week class is a wow because really, the only people who sign up for it are serious readers like yourselves. People that want to know about slow narrative release, people want to know about literary alchemy, people want to, people want to know about the real uh, workings and the artistry and meaning of Roland's work. Um, and they can't get that anywhere. You can't get it at a convention because it's, it's, you know, it's not focused enough. It's not long enough. You can't come to it any time of day. You can't do it for as low a price as, as my class is offered for. You know, it's, it's, it's um, anyway, it's, it's a lot of fun. 
And it's conversations like tonight only over a period of a week. You're speaking to the, exactly the right audience. <laughs> I can't even imagine that some of our listeners won't partake. <laughs> you know what? You know, the wizard reading formula isn't just for people that love school and that really get into books. Oh, good, because I it's hated for, school. It's for people that love story and want to understand how story works in their lives. Um, a lot of people who write love the, love the program. A lot of people that just really want to get um, why they love Harry Potter. They love this, this class. Cool. Anyway. Well, thank you, John. This has been a really fun episode and I'm looking forward to parts two and three. You want to come back? I, I, parts two and you know, Kat, I, you couldn't keep me away if you invite me. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. That's right. We'll, we'll set it up. We'll set it up. <laughs> and while we wait for that impatiently, we're going to discuss a chapter next episode. And our next chapter will be Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 16, In the Hogshead, which after this discussion is kind of where I need to be, drowning in some butterbeer <laughs> and trying to like amazing. make things work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And if you would like to be on the show, if you know, you're interested in talking more about ring theory, for example. Sorry, ring composition, for example. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you can go to the topic submit page on the main site. Uh, you can suggest topics and you can go on there to submit an audition to be on the show. We'd love to have you on to talk about Potter with us. If you have a set of Apple headphones or anything similar, you're all set and you don't need any fancy equipment to be on the show. In the meantime, you can find us over on Twitter at AlohomoreMN, Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore. Uh, our URL is AlohomorePodcast.com. We've got YouTube.com backslash AlohomoreMN and our email. You use it. You love it. You know it. AlohomorePodcast at gmail.com. And one more reminder to go and check out our Patreon Thanks again to Jake for Jake. being Yay. so awesome Yay. and supporting us Thank on you, Patreon. Um, if you would like to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com slash alohamora and you can sponsor us for as liter little as $1 a month. Go get those perks, guys. Right. That's only 100 pennies. How long has it been <laughs> since you made that joke? It was time. <laughs> it was time. It was time. It was. It was time. What's the exchange that to like what it is in wizarding money? Um, okay. According to the Harry Potter lexicon currency converter, as of today, September 4th, one US dollar equals two sickles and 19 knuts. So like a <laughs> less than a scoop of beetle's eyes or whatever. <laughs> Less than your I mean, yeah, you can gets. forgo that scoop of beetle eyes just, you know, once a month so that you can support us, right? <laughs> right? right? Borrow some from Snape. It's all good. Perfect. He won't know. He doesn't know what's going on in his store cupboard. You know why? Because he's dead. Because. <laughs> okay. And uh, that has been this episode of Alohomora. Uh We're a little punch drunk and we're going to let you guys go. So I'm Kat Miller. <laughs> That's fine. I'm Allison Sigurd. And I'm Beth Warsaw. Thank you for listening to episode 254 of Mora. Open the Dumbledore, which leads to a parallel Dumbledore, which leads to another parallel which Dumbledore, parallel which leads Dumbledore. to a million other parallel Dumbledores that will blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
see it. Doggone it. Um, uh, that he's, Google he's, will know. Tell me what to look for. That's, it, well, I, if I just put my headset down, I can walk over and see my wall. Give me one second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know why? Because he's dead. <laughs>